This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm the Evan. The Evan, I love it. The Evan. Um, and uh, I, I should remind myself that your last name no is. No one else L- was taking that rank, so I was going to take it. <laughs> the Lampy, uh, um, Evan the Lampy. I, I, I thought I was at MR already. Yeah, maybe, but maybe not. <laughs> that's a that's probably more arguable that you're the Lampy than the Evan because there's a lot of Evans in the planet. Um. Yeah. So, uh, if you're going to live forever. To Live Forever is the novel we're doing. Uh, do you want to be stuck with just the one name? Or do you want to be able to get into a, someone else's body and empathize with that person? This 1956 Jack Vance novel that we're starting to talk about. Um, so, uh, Paul, you, this is your uh, suggestion. And I have yep. wanted to do more Jack Vance. Um, why did we settle on this one? Because... It's not a series, I guess. Although it's part of a series. No, it's it's not a series. It's not a series because we settled on this one because I know you like to go early on authors to see where they are and see whether or not you like stuff later. And this is relatively early in Jack Vance's career, as you said. This is nineteen fifty-six. It's self-contained. It's relatively short. Yeah, I figured those three were good reasons to have. And you'd read it before, right? It because I, I long while ago. Okay. Um, back, 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 back in the early '80s when I was before a lot of Jack Vance went out of print. I mean, my brother had paperbacks, and I read Planet of Adventure and and the um, and the um, what's um, all the all the novels like uh, the Star King and all those other mm. novels and a bunch of other stuff. And this this was just mixed in with all of that. Mm-hmm. Evan, is this your first Jack Vance? Uh, yeah, in fact, you know, I, I, I knew the name, but I didn't think about Jack Vance, so I started listening to that Appendix N. What was it? Appendix, Appendix N. N? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then to see how much Vance's ideas were influencing, you know, role-playing games. Yeah, so I never finished that book, but I, in just the, the few hours I listened to, like, Jack Vance came up like three or four times mm-hmm. in different yeah. examples. He's largely um, responsible for the magic use that's not religious magic use in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. The so-called yeah. Vancey and magic system where you memorize spells. That's the dying earth stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's the dying earth. That's the yeah. dying earth stuff where, where that magic comes from. So this is kind of a dying uh, earth story. I should check them out. So that that's why I joined this one. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, this is kind of a dying earth story because this is set in the future. It seems to be set in the States, but um, the reason I think we that can't. is because of the yeah, counties, I, right? Is the yeah. time really clear? Like the you had this seems I to mean, be clearly the like this this the, age of chaos, this Malthusian crisis seems to be. It's very much a twentieth late twentieth century obsession. It, it's mm-hmm. a very soiling green obsession. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah soiling green or stand on Zanzibar. Mm-hmm. You still see it. I mean, it's still there. Mm-hmm. It's it's this is really. I, whenever I see this, I just get really bothered by this because it, 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 it is very that that part is very I mean, hard back to times. It's always this idea that humans are just 
consumers and not producers, right? The whole idea of a Malthusian crisis needs to be based on this idea that people just consume, that they don't produce. Now, the uh, Marxist other people, other people really consume. I produce. That's how most, yeah, most the of the logic comes like out. Workers produce X, and they're paid less than X. Mm-hmm. That's exploitation, right? Mm-hmm. If that's true, then the only reason there's scarcity, or at least not scarcity, at least the only reason that workers don't get back what they produce is because of the bosses take it all, right? Mm-hmm. So, at the very least, people should get back what they produce. So, it's acknowledging that people produce something right and but in the 60s 50s this was 50s in the 60s you had stands on zanzibar you had make room make room right uh you had those weird star trek episodes like the conscience of a king Mm -hmm. and the one with all the overpopulated planet what's that one called yeah they they that that guy was the original um std down like to to infect the population right? right yeah Right, right, because because they they yeah. have they have long lifespans and no way to control the population. No disease, right? They have disease, but they don't have birth control. I mean, it was kind of a criticism of the of the Catholic Church's you know decision to not allow the pill or something. I think. Mm-hmm. It's around at the same time. It's like that that decision was sixty eight, I think, and that episode must have been sixty eight or sixty nine. Right. But it's just, it was an obsession of that time. It's like the Paul Ehrlich of population bomb time. And and maybe mm-hmm. when you looked at population growth rates at the time, it did look like that was the future. But they never knew what the Green Revolution would come. They didn't know, like, people would... And heard of way Japan. Or <laughs> also thinking of, we did the sequel. But now we're were... talking about, like, population is going to go down, right? And we're worried. Like, China's... Well, we're worried about aging China's populations and cohorts. Yeah. But I'm also thinking of the Moat in God's Eye, where you have the Modis, who are all about Malthusian over over crashing their populations again and again and again throughout history. And that's the, that's the early '70s. So again, that's that's still within this time frame of, oh my God, we're, we're going to crowd ourselves out to death. Yeah, we're worried. We're worried. We're rabbits, and then we're worried. We're pandas, right? Yeah. We're worried. We're rabbits. And we're we're going to uh, overpopulate and crash the ecosystem. Because we don't have a predator. And then we realize we're all Japanese um, men dating 35 women. <laughs> and not uh, not having sex with any of them just to get presents. Because they're so desperate for <laughs> attention. And, <laughs> and then... That's a real news story, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and then getting arrested, arrested for, for I guess... 35 women. <laughs> fraud, defrauding them out of... To, to get birthday presents. <laughs> So the, 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 there are, there's a per, there's perverse incentives uh, applied by the governments of the, of the planet and in this story, and there's perverse understanding of reality, right? So what what seems to make people stop having lots and lots of babies is basically not worrying about their old age, right? If you if you have a social safety net. Um, you don't need to have uh, 16 kids to hope that some of them survive yeah, that, to adulthood. And, and I would also say being pretty confident that the kids you do have are going to become adults. Right. And that they, they right. will care like, about you. Oh, I don't need to have eight kids. I can get by with four. Right. And That could be happen really quickly. Actually, if you look at the the time it took different countries to go from like a fertility of six to mm-hmm. three. 
I have a chart. I show my students this. So fertility of six means a woman will, on average, have six kids in her lifetime. But fertility of three will be three. Fertility mm-hmm. of one will be one, whatever it is. So the, the chart looked at how long it took the country to go from six to three. It took the U.S. and Britain about 95 or 100 years. It took China about 12 years. And that was before the one-child policy. Was I was going to ask about that. Is that the one-child yeah, policy? Yeah, before the one-child policy was implemented, China was already down to like a fertility of three. It was like the one-child policy was totally unnecessary. Mm-hmm. China was already going in that. And other countries did it in like eight. And you know what it was? It was like vaccinations and basic health care for kids. Mm-hmm. Education. People's like, oh, yeah. Send to the living. Like, kids are going to live, so I'm not going to have so many. So, um, well, but also the role of women in working and not being just well, yeah, women getting more, uh, or even just having access to birth control. That's a big thing. Patriarchal societies have, like the the like the depot shot. I read a book about this and about Africa, like Zimbabwean history. Like the shot was really revolutionary there because women could get it and their husband wouldn't know. The pill, like the men, kind of figured out because it was every day. But the mm-hmm. shot they'd get once a month. Birth control workers would just kind of go through and give women the the shot, or you know, and and they could be infertile without their husbands knowing. That was like the key feature. I forget the name of the book though. But it, it dealt with birth control policy in Zimbabwe in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. So what's fu- what's funny about this book is that although it bears a similarity in premise to a number of books we mentioned, Make Room, Make Room by Harry Harrison, that's got turned into the movie Soiling Green, right? And uh, I think Robert Block has one I we've done on the podcast. Uh, titles escaping me. This was a very popular idea: is, is that the Earth's resources are overtaxed, yeah. and the way we solve this is a combination of uh, repressing the population and uh, expansion to other planets, right? And also, this, the, also movies are but, this, but here they just ignore expansion of other planets. Well, no, like, that's the that's the solution at the end, space, right? It's the solution at the end, but no one thought of it up in... I don't know how long the time is between the age of chaos and the time the story takes place. No, they do Amarith lived for thousands of years. So they do mention that, that they do mention in the book that there is some space travel. There is yeah. some exploration, but it's very, very limited. Yeah, it's very, very, yeah. very, very, very limited. No, the, um, there, there's more space. There's the crack in space. More than just the big. star enterprise. There's, there's the obsession about finding a planet, and they can't. So it's why they. It's right, an option. Right, that's right not because the one guy it, says, "Oh yeah, I found this planet. On it was a great planet. And I'll never find it." But again. the but the difference is between Dick and Vance is that Dick's doing it because he wants to find the frontier and Vance is doing it because it's a way to escape his artificial idea of uh, a limited population on a planet being unsustainable. Um, Now the thing is, is uh, I think really, really that this is all artificial and he kind of knows it. So um, by the way, uh, Later on, this book is not called To Live Forever. It's called Clarges, which is... Right, after, at, right, after the Vance Integral Edition, and they got renamed to its original title. Which is not a great title either. To Live Forever is not a perfect title either. Um, and th- this book is good, but there's some serious problems with it. And I think the serious problems are 
he's he's really good at spinning up uh, a society and making it fun because he's he's really into masks. I haven't read millions of millions of uh, Jack Vance books, but you know the Moon Moth and this both have mask mm-hmm. societies. Um, at, 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 right, and, and that's kind of his metaphor for how societies now people react in very weird societies. The masks are a metaphor that he goes to mm-hmm. again. And they, it's yeah. a good metaphor. In, in the same way that Borges is always a, about the labyrinth, right? Um, mm-hmm. It seems Vance has got this idea that, that I mean, this, this novel is essentially a murder mystery as well, which is kind of weird. Um, and then we've got you know, Given this, that he wrote a couple of mysteries, that's not that surprising. Yeah, but there's a lot going on in a short book, and what it's really missing is the core exploration of the psychology of what they've set up. Because this idea of the five strata, right? The the regular what are the people at the bottom called? Clarks, Clarks, or whatever the leagues. <laughs> I, yeah, I kept thinking I got to write this down. I yeah, get it. And then they go up Aaron, to two, and then third, a brood. Well, no, no, it's it's brood wedge, Aaron's Burge, and Amaranth. Right. And what's the bottom? Brood. Okay. I, but there's the people who are not actually even in the brood. Like say, like say that the cast offs like Kim don't even, aren't even in the brood, but they're kind of brood. But mm. they're not on the actual. Scale of uh, there wasn't of a name. For, I thought there was. A name I think there's a name for it. it, it long story short, um, there's a, f- a false reality that's caused, I think, by the author just wanting to make his novel sh- relatively short. But we've got a bunch of other things going on in here. So, for example, um, right at the start of the book, it says this is the last city. Right, so the whole planet's mm-hmm. available, and there are other people living elsewhere, but they're all barbarians, right? But they don't live in cities, so why is the why are they overpopulated? Right? There's two counties mentioned. One is the one the city's in, and there's a neighboring county which is mostly, I think it's called Glade, or something like that, and it's mostly empty, but there's a part of it that's the carnival section, right? The rest of the planet is not for harvesting food for these people, right? It's not. So he set it up wrong. If he's trying to say that the world's overpopulated, it's no, a it's a false premise that he is adopting as an idea. The the world was overpopulated. To prevent that, to stop that overpopulation, he's this artificial society was basically set up and advancing in fashion has just kept on going, even though we have space travel. They consensus We have, because even mentioned at the end, there's plenty of thing on the planet. But Vance is making a point about the conservatism of societies that go on long after they have served their usefulness. I agree. I mean, this, this that's why it's society not, was basically built, and that's why it's not a, a real version of what we see in uh, Harry's Harrison's, uh, you know, Soylent Green. Yeah, make room, make room is. Literally, it is everybody's living on top of each other. Uh, I mean, even uh, there's a lot of 50s books that are a lot like this, where you've got some dystopia <laughs> caused by <laughs> human. This is Eugene Ballard's Storical Millennium. Yeah. Because we thought, which is basically like that. Everyone's living on top of each other. The Space Merchants is very similar to this, mm-hmm. um, with people living on top of each other. It's a dis- That's also a comedy, though. But on, underneath all of the setup for this story, um, 
there's some fun things. The idea of slope and the fact that, you know, they're calling this a free enterprise system, which is fun, right? Um, and then, of course, the ship is named the Star Enterprise. And then uh, you guys, I'm sure, well, I know, Evan, I sent it to you. I was analyzing an episode of Voyager um, called Critical Care. And uh, in that, it's basically a hospital with tiered systems of healthcare. You know, on the blue level, the elites get everything. And on the bottom level, the the poors, the people with low education and poor prospects for a life of production, uh, get almost nothing and die. And uh, one of the things they the doctor calls for is a hypospray, which is also in this book. This book is a lot of things going on. Oh, yeah, the hypospray. I remember that. Right. That's, I remember thinking about that, that is this the first? No, it's not. It, it's hypospray. interesting, right? Because a hypospray sounds like we, we got it from Star Trek, and we did, but it, was be- it existed before that. There's an episode of The Shadow, the radio show from... Uh, 40, 1947 that uses it. And if you look into uh, uh, hyposprays, as I did, um, there's a, a medical paper describing what how it would work as a patented object uh, in 1951. So he's picking it up from, from a real thing. But more, most interesting, the idea of where it came from seems to have been accidental use of oil injection uh, people would be working in uh, uh, places where they're injecting oil using a jet air powered system and mm-hmm. uh, accidentally injecting themselves with oil <laughs> and passes right through the skin. Oh, right? So um, clearly, this is a, uh, a development that seems like it's, it's going to happen. Of course, we're still all getting shots with needles, although hyposprays have been used. They are uh, not in common use, right? For what we what we think of them as. Um, but the thing is, is there's a lot of medical stuff in here, and yet there's ultimately a of, there's a lot of psychiatry and, and uh, oh yeah, it's it's got a lot going on. So this guy's full of power, uh, all sorts of different directions, and he set it up in this world. And it's murder mystery. It's a whole bunch of things, but ultimately never settles on one thing that it's doing. And I think that's what makes it such a sort of a weak sauce. It's full of flavors, but I don't think there's an undertone that carries it in a way that I would say that makes it a classic. Like a lot of the the way it plays out, it plays out like uh, Alfred Bester's um, The Demolished the Man. Demolished Man? Yeah. Like it's, it's a murder mystery. He's trying to dodge his identity. Um, we don't know that at first. We figure it out. And then... Uh, it changes, right? So all that hospital stuff was fascinating. These, these, uh, characters spending all the time in the carnival, fascinating. But ultimately, making slope is not what it's even about, right? It's, it's, it's like, um, if we, if we think of this as an analogy for our world, right? And that's where a show like, uh, Voyager's Critical Care works the same way. We have, an elite class who, because of their extra good education at Yale, <laughs> get a good health care. And then there's the poor class who don't get good health care. And that's how we, quote unquote, live forever, right? Basically, even the people at the top of this, the Amaranths, 
they're not actually living forever either. They're just empathizing with a clone of themselves, right? So it, that's just, like, false. It isn't to live forever. And the other way to go is mentioned in this book, and that's to empathize with humanity as a whole, right? Rather than as an individual. And if he had spent a little more time on that, I think he would have had something of a classic here. And I'm not saying, you know, he did it wrong. I'm just saying there's a lot going on, and I don't feel like he, he nailed he anything. Lot, he, he throws a lot against the wall, but he does that a lot. It's all, I, I mean, I mean, Vance is much more interested in societies and weird ways of human existence mm-hmm. that if you squint, you can see how they could actually develop that sort of thing, even though it's very removed from our experience. And sending characters in there to sometimes to either win the system or overturn the system. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a lot of what his, his novels are all about. Either overtake the system or just knock it over. And this is an, this is one where ultimately he knocks it over. I mean, the moon, the moon moth, he wins the system and, and overgains it. Um, the, um, plan of adventure, he, he overturns an entire planet in trying to get off of it. In, in the demon prince's novels, he, he goes on a rampage, knocking off these, these, uh, galactic criminals and causing all sorts of chaos in his wake to, get at them revenge is a big thing in mm-hmm. if you haven't figured that out mm-hmm. and this is also not only a murder but it's also a revenge novel because gavin waylock is pissed off and is going to get back into the amber for what happened to him for, for, ba- for basically getting basically getting uh framed and uh set, set set up the river as it were and so the the whole murder and everything else he's doing is basically just part of his revenge thing i i th- I, I would not imagine. It's a pity he's passed away because I would love to ask Jack Vance if the Count of Monte Cristo is one of his favorite novels because, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of burning revenge at any cost with, with intricate plans and, and, uh, schemes is kind of what he, he does a lot. And this novel is very indicative of that. It's an early novel of his. As you say, there's a lot going on. Maybe. It's maybe short. It's a book. short book for. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe too much. I'm actually but... interested in how he he disrupts society here. He, you know, he disrupts it by taking its rules really, really seriously. Mm-hmm. Like he basically paints them into a corner. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right? By releasing these these clones that have been empathized with, they they're forced to become Amareth, and this forces the actuarium actuarium mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do its calculations, and this is what leads to the big. Right, which ultimately destroys the the whole accounting system. Yeah, so I, I wanted to the, I, I wanted it's to kind think of an unsustainable system. Is even though it's presented early on is very stable. Yeah, I wanted to um, think it, it's very stable until you get somebody who's going to knock it off at any cost and with all his energies. And Gavin Whalock no, is but that he just guy. Spread it along, right? Because eventually you're going to have enough enough people are going to move into Amareth that. It's you're gonna get this top heavy. Either you guys juggle, juggle the numbers, or things will get top heavy. Yeah. That's true. I mean, so he just I, did it all in one day, but that was inevitably where it was gonna go. I think. So uh, I, I referred to this uh, Voyager episode a couple of times, you know, called "Critical Care." Um, 
the reason it's it's uh important is because it's it's got a similar setup is basically your life is either extended by medical care which is the way it works for the force the first four uh ranks right or you uh you die those are your options and so if you have great care you're at the top um they'll make a clone of you maybe and uh make you uh, give it lessons until you feel satisfied that you can die and it be you. Um, but the burning hate of our hero, we don't know about it at first, right? We didn't even know he was the main character and at first. Eventually comes out so that we understand what he's doing. And, I mean, his names are kind of similar and he's got excuses, but he's doing his own version of a of an Alfred Bester uh, meme in his head so that he doesn't get tripped up and f- say something that's going to get him in trouble. Um, in this Voyager episode, they have the Allocator. This is the robot, uh, AI, that determines who gets what, right? Oh, you're not a wedge? You don't get uh, this treatment, right? You're not... Your slope isn't high enough, so they don't talk about it as slope and wedge, right? But they have these levels, and we have that too uh, in the U.S., right? There's, you know, emergency care for people at the bottom. And then there's, you know, John Hopkins for people at the top, right? You fly across the nation to get uh, spe- special treatment by the, the guy at the top. And the the uh, elites get to live forever, <laughs> essentially. I mean, hence, and you get tooth implants, you know, they get skin Skin treatments, they get hair plugs, they get everything to make them stay young. So that's a nice criticism of, of what exists, but he doesn't explore the alternative. So if this was a Brave New World story, right, we would spend way more time with John, uh, John Savage. We spend no time with John Savage in this book, which is terrible because that outcast society has to be something of importance as a a weapon threat. And it is sort of casually mentioned. The carnival, the carnival is the escape, right? It's, it's the Yeah, it's the safety valve. It's the safety yeah. valve and and the masks so that you can go there and do the quote unquote Carnival, Carnival. That's another uh original uh, Star Trek series episode, right? Where everybody's got living in the perfect utopia, except for that one day when they do the purge. Or, and, or think of Logan's Run. Uh, Logan's Run has a carnival? Well, uh, it's Carousel. Carousel. Yeah. Well, interestingly, um, they they solve, that is a, what, it's kind of similar in the sense it's an overpopulation story gone wrong, right? They don't actually have, in that respect, it is very similar, but the way they deal with it is they live lives of decadence, right? And we have the assassins in this book who we don't get the point of view of, which is unfortunate. Um, and so that book could be seen as a, a retelling of this book from the assassin's point of view. You see what I'm saying? Logan's Run is the same world. It's just... Right, he's the- He's he's the Sandman, yeah. He's the Sand the Sandman is the assassin. Um, now the thing is, that is an exploration of a dystopia that is 
coded as a utopia, whereas this is a utopia that isn't a utopia. No, this is just how we survive the Malthusian crisis by but Jack Banks. My question is, how come there's no allocator that tells us whether something is actually slope or not? So when I go to a job and it turns out to be a great job for me personally, like I enjoy my work, the pay is poor, does that give me slope? Or if I'm really productive in the factory but my boss takes all the profits, does that give me slope? Right, so we've got. You know, your boss gets a slope. Yeah, we've got, we've got in our society, I mean, and they, I, I'm, I'm talking about the United States. We've got uh, a group of elites who give their kids money and jobs. Right, I know Paul's not going to like this, but let's take Hunter Biden. Right, not, not inherently a genius, not inherently awesome, gets a job uh, because of his last name and connection to his father, um, and he's a complete fuck up. Now. Does he actually have slope, or objectively, or is this system rigged? And is the system in this book rigged? Because I don't think it is. I think there's some sort of objective system going on. Say, well, this person is actually contributing a lot. Look at how many papers he's written, right? And it seems that's what the actuarium is partially responsible for, right? And that's not a robot. That's human. Right? That's a, these are a group of people who are doing their job perfectly, it seems. Which is crazy. Because this is, uh, I mean, if you're looking for corruption, that's where it is. You see what I'm saying? Well, I was thinking a lot about this. Like, I think of this like, oh, this is, this is kind of like capitalism, right? People profit off of free enterprise, we're told, the right? The suffering beginning. of others, right? You you gain immortality but you have to take the lie you, you know, the assassins go for 2,000 people right? When you reach your mortality just to balance the scales or whatever, right? It's, it's like the game of Monopoly. Sure. Right? The game of Monopoly in the end, if you win, everyone else has to lose. Yep. Right? Which isn't how, like, a lot of the capitalist defenders describe capitalism. <laughs> they say it's kind of the rising tide lifts everyone up, right? Everyone well, trickle-down economics is still something people but talk about. I don't about. know Vance's politics. I, I guess he's opposed to planned economies, based on what I've read here. He's skeptical of that. But it seems more of a critique of capitalism to me, but I don't know if that's just my own values kind of being projected in those people. I would say because, he's disconnected. Because I find disconnected. about it, I think, He's got to be. He's got to have a gripe with planned economies. Maybe, maybe Paul knows more about his politics. He's read more of his stuff. Oh, uh, Vance is relatively, uh, is slightly conservative. He was in. He was in the navy. Traveled the world, but I mean, he. So I. I think he. I think you know, growing up in the society and times he did, he, I, I def, he definitely was not a pro-communism in any way as yeah. far as I'm aware so he seems disconnected from it like he, he he's no, 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 making his own world he's like Tolkien oh, right he's yeah. not it's he's not talking world, about but, us but I don't know I, I couldn't help wait, wait, he he likes to wait. like like you were saying I think you're hinting at Jesse it's like there's people who would determine what is slope what mm-hmm. what deserves slope, right? And that's the world we live in, in a way, right? Like yeah. Someone could be a really talented, I don't know, accordion player or something, but 
that's not going to get you slope in our world. That's not going to get you. <laughs> weird Al. That'll make you maybe, weird Al. Maybe, I don't know what, maybe accordion's the wrong term. There's got to be something. Whatever I'm good at is obviously not earning me slope. Well, that's the thing is what is, uh, like, right? like, so for example. So someone, that's, it, that's not objective, right? It, I, I always want to point to Michio Kaku. Michio Kaku is a string theorist. I know you don't like me talking about it because I talk about it too much, but it's it's such a striking example to me, right? He's his specialty is string theory. He writes books on other things, popular popular science futurism things. And the reason he does that is because that's a way to make money and, you know, people want to eat it up and they do and they have him on their show, but he he what what string theory is is not science because it's not testable. This is why it's sort of endlessly spinning for years and years and years and years and years. So when people see his PhD and they say, "Oh, he's got to be smart. He he's a string theorist. He's a famous guy. I've seen him on TV." They think he has something to say. And so when he, if you drill down into what he's actually saying, you realize, "Oh wait, this is bullshit." This, this is, it's not even true. It's overstated. Uh, you know, we did have long-term communi- long-distance communication a hundred years ago. The telegraphs, telephones existed. There was the mail system, right? You're just wrong. He's just absolutely wrong. But people don't know that, right? So does he get slope or does he not? Well, if we are um, examining our world, I'm sure he has a house and a home and uh, his books are purchased at least by some people therefore he's successful in a certain way but if you go 200 years down the road and look back and say did this guy have slope or not we would say absolutely not now what's interesting is the world that we're given here in to live forever is one where we're told innovation is always happening right and we've got all sorts of uh, great tech coming out of it, which is fine, although we don't actually see it. I, I like the idea. I guess there's a rocket ship there. <laughs> but ultimately, what I'm much more interested in, because it, it seems more hinting at stuff, is the reactions. The witherers and the weirds. I think we have those in our yeah. society. I, I don't think we call them witherers, but I think they exist, and I've seen them on Twitter. And the weirds, man, I'm <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> no, they're they're like the, they're they're herbivore men in Japan. That's right? what I'm talking about. They're they're the guys who say, yeah, my dad had a job his whole life. He went in every day at six a.m. He came home every day at eight a.m. I never saw him. I hate that guy. Yep. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not having a kid. I'm not. Maybe I'm not getting married. I'm not even dating in some cases. I'm right. just playing video games. I'm just chilling. I got my waifu pillow, and I'm good. Yeah. And there's the internet. There's, you know, there's my pillow, whatever. <laughs> and I'm happy. And I, I think that's... And that's a... He's a weird. Growing, it's a we I guess it's a subculture, right? He's a weird. Whereas Magnus Panvidya is a witherer, right? Yeah. One of the things about... Uh, I don't know if you know who Magnus Panvidya is, uh... Paul, um, I, no, I'm not sure I do. Okay, basically, he's a. He, if there's such a thing as a famous Boogaloo boy, he's one of them. <laughs> not that the Boogaloo boys are super famous, but they're they're starting to be treated as a national security threat. 
Um, oh, okay. Uh, they're like Proud Boys, except uh, ironic, <laughs> and also not assholes, um, or at least mostly not. And one of the things about the Witherers in this, uh, the meeting they, that he goes to, which is amazing, is they don't have an ideology. They only have a uh, something they dislike altogether, right? <laughs> They've got that we don't like the way things are. We want to change the way things are. That's our goal. And then uh, you ask him, well, wh- what's your, uh, what's your, um, book? Are you communists? Did you read Marx? Is this what? No, we don't have that. That's not what unites us. What unites us is the fact that we are ob- objecting to this system. And that's fascinating. So he's built that into, I mean, I think this is what he really wanted to explore. He says, okay, imagine, uh, future capitalism, because it's a free enterprise system. Um, well, they've got ports in this city, right? But there's no other cities to trade with, so <laughs> what are the ports for, right? So it's very insular, and yet, and, and it's got all this great ideas of, you know, outlet, but ultimately, it's like uh, they don't have anything. The, the progress that they think they're having is not evident. So what are we actually seeing? Who are the witherers? And how, what makes you a wither and not a weird? A weird is a person who says, I'm dropping out. I'm getting tattoos. Uh, I, I put on an ironic voice. <laughs> so when I serve you coffee, you don't, you don't think it's real, but I know it's not real. And, that justifies me getting paid poorly. <laughs> That's a weird, right? That's not a person who's trying to upset society. They're just trying to deal. They're just trying to live in a world they never made. So I think that's what's so interesting about this book is he's actually sort of recreated our reality. Obviously, they had these people, the beatniks in the 50s and such, right? Um Science fiction fans, weirdos with propellers on their heads, uh, cosplayers. <laughs> we got all of these things back then and now, right? We have, we have them, but there's a, a way to go. You can be a wither or you can be a weird or you can, you know, try and get slope. So I, I I'm obviously not get trying to get slope. Though. It, or, or if I am, the slope is judged by me rather than my boss. Or, right? or by some external factor that you can't uh, manipulate. Yeah, because, well, uh, cause, the, cause go, the vision of history looking back. Because they discuss about different ways of getting slope and how some fields are easier to get slope than others, which kind of remind yeah. me of thinking, I was thinking of like PhDs and stuff, like some mm-hmm. fields where there's, there's plenty of... Pl- Plenty of room and unexplored things is easy to get slope. Whereas something where everybody's doing it, it's harder to actually do it. So there's a there's a dip, there's degrees of difficulty in getting slope depending on what you do. I mean, yeah. Remember his first his first. Yeah, I, I like that thing was journalism ladder climbing in the in the book. It's quite a lot of the book. Mm-hmm. But I listen to a lot of this while like on the rowing machine and on the bike. <laughs> so, a Perfect. My where my mental state was at the time. Um, but yeah, this, this is just like, maybe it's almost like an eighties movie where some guys try goes into a big corporation. Yeah. Right. Like big city or something like that. Yeah. And 
you know, he's trying this. He's like, well, maybe I'll try these. You know, I'll go into I'll be I'll go into the, the insane asylum, right? With all those this huge number of mentally ill people who could never be cured, right? Mm-hmm. A society, there's like, symptoms. Society. Have room for them or whatever. They oh, that doesn't work. I'm going to go to the actuarium. I'm going to go to this place, that place, right? Maybe I'll be an assassin. <laughs> I, I I really like that part of the novel. It's good stuff. It's just like, you know, well, where where can I make it? And then, the, and then that whole subplot with that psychiatrist—is that the right word for mm-hmm. it? I think there was a special word for it, but he like cured a few patients individually. We thought that showed like, but the people who earned slope were not curing anyone. Mm-hmm. But they like—I mean, I guess this is kind of fits into what you guys were talking about, where you know, it's not really reflective of actual progress, right? Like, I guess all these psychiatrists who were making slope were coming up with great theories and publishing books, but they weren't curing patients, right? Right. In that, so Voy- in that Voyager the episode, cured, they like, call it slope. Like, I at least cured eight or ten or whatever it was. In the Voyager episode, they, they call slope uh, treatment coefficient, right? So they're, they're literally saying, you know, the, and I was, I was thinking a lot about, uh, they call it social credit in China. I, I don't know how real that is. But uh, it's different from the social credit we had in Canada um, and that Heinlein was talking about. But the idea of, you know, if you say the right things on their version of Twitter and you don't offend, you don't lose points that will gain you access to... I think a lot of it in China actually is is if you pay off your debts because debts are a lot more brutal here in China. Really? Interesting. Yeah. It's... I've talked with people who, like, their kid can't go to. They said things like, "If I don't pay off this debt, like from my business loan, like my kid's not going to get into good college." Hmm. So, wow, brutal stuff. But I think a lot of like the social credit stuff is about like that kind of stuff. If you're paying off your debts, if you're, yeah, if you're jaywalking, maybe if you get caught doing that, that might go on to it but whereas here i think a lot of it is dead stuff you know if you if you we separate uh, you know you can as long as like conrad black if you guys know who conrad black is lord black of black harbor uh canadian um, newspaper magnet you know defrauded his own people ended up thrown in jail also a, a member of the house of lords in the uk right um disgraced his wife is uh you know, magazine editor in Canada. Um, because he's rich, the fact that he's a convicted criminal doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter that his reputation has been sullied because he's rich and he can speak for himself and often does. And people yeah. don't, don't say you're, you're out because you, you know, you're outed for being a criminal. They don't say, you know, you can't write for our newspaper anymore. He owns the newspaper or owned the newspaper. And even the newspaper that he stole and was stealing money from, uh, for himself doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? Because there is no objective judge. Now, what's interesting is we have people like Lavoisier and, uh, Hook, right? And, uh, I think Einstein's probably far enough in the past that people mostly uh, although he's slightly overhyped for certain things. Uh, we've got these people, uh, Darwin, right? And, uh, Huxley, uh, Thomas Huxley, right? We've got these people in the past who we think, oh, they definitely are in slope, right? 
<laughs> we think they definitely did a thing. Now, the problem is they can't live forever anymore because they're dead. But in a sense, they do live forever, right? The fact that I know who Hook and Lavoisier are um, makes them live forever in a certain sense. But that's not what he's talking about here, mostly. He's mostly talking about, like, literally cloning themselves. And I kept waiting for the savage to come out and say what I think we all should say, which is, you know, Robert, e. Robert J. Sawyer is kind of obsessed with... Um, with uh, trying to live forever. He talked about how in just a few years, we're going to have uh, the biomedical technology to prevent us from ever dying. And then those few years go by and he says, well, it's okay. I've, I've got a new novel out. And this one, we're going to uh, transfer consciousness into a robot so that uh, you can live forever as a robot. And the thing is, is ultimately we have to accept as people have done for thousands of years, even though we have tried to vainly against it, that we are all mortal creatures and will die. Absolutely. Now, there is no remember, character remember in this book. Yeah, really, that's the important part. I have a skull on my desk just for such purposes, to remind me that my time is limited and I don't want to waste it because I don't have it, an infinite supply. And, you know, I'm not going to heaven afterwards, though. So. Don't have an infinite supply there either. Um, there is no character in this book who says this system is bullshit. Living a couple extra years is not enough. I would rather live well during the time I have. And that does not mean me working as a drudge in a capitalist uh, work system, right? I should go off into the wilderness. And we don't have that. We don't have people fleeing into the wilderness very often in this book. Right, we have people fly off into the wilderness, but it doesn't seem to be a mass movement. And I'm not sure that that's very realistic because we have these back to the land movements that come up every now and again, and there's a new one currently. But if you think of the '60s, my parents were, "Let's go live in the wilderness." Eventually, they decided that that wasn't uh, the perfect thing to do, but um, a lot of people stayed. And some people are still there. So uh, where is that in here? It, 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 he he's modeled Carnival. something. Carnival is an escape, but it's it's like um, it's a temporary. It's a vacation, right? Yeah. And I I think about you know I've I've had a good job for a long time. I don't take vacations because every day is a vacation. I enjoy my work. I, I, I want to work like a little Sunday? more. Say again? Every day is like Sunday? No, I don't do a podcast every day. <laughs> but have you guys, have you guys uh, come across the ideas of, of like the literary interpretations of Carnival? No. So a no, lot of this comes from this guy, Mikhail Bakhtin. Mm -hmm. And so when I was hearing this about Carnival, I'm like, oh, Bakhtin. I haven't thought about him in a few years, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk to him a little bit. And he was like a Russian theorist, I guess, of the late 19th, early 20th century. What are his dates? 1875 to 19... Oh, sorry, 1895 to 1975. He died in 1975, so he lived a long time. So 
he's he's someone you, if you read a lot of scholarly stuff, especially if you read weird stuff like I do, it comes up a lot because he and, and he's associated with this carnival theory. So he's got this idea that like this is kind of a he's a philosopher, right? So he's got this idea that is basically part of the human experience to want this escape, I guess. So he's got mm-hmm. these different models of carnival. And I'm just pulling this from Wikipedia, but quote, carnival often brought the unlikeliest people together and encouraged the interaction and free expression of themselves in unity. Or unacceptable behavior. This is another idea. Unacceptable behavior is welcomed and accepted at carnival. Mm-hmm. Right? So even like Exhibitionism. The Venetian mass, like the Venetian car- the Venetian masquerade, right? Mm-hmm. You put mm-hmm. on the mask, everyone kind of knows who you are, but you can kind of flirt with I don't know. This things. isn't me. Prostitute or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, because it, you got the mask train. on. That, that, that's the, you, you pretend to be someone else, right? Right. Or it, 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 it's performative transgressive, transgressivism. Uh, transgressivism. Or you get like, even the like, Masonic lodges where like in the day you're your boss tells you what to do, but at mm-hmm. night you might be the head of the Masonic You're his boss. boss that's under right. You. That's right. So you can be his boss, right? And that's also you got a costume, right? Maybe, and you got to have those the apron. rituals. Yep. So, the fez. but Bach had <laughs> talked about this, and he thought this is kind of an essential part of human experience, and this is why all cultures have something like this. I think that was his big theory. Mm-hmm. But although I haven't really read him and studied him very seriously, but as I understand it, he thinks kind of all cultures sort of have this, even if it's in subcultures or in. Debian thing. So I thought a lot about the carnival stuff when I read this book. Oh yeah, it's an important part of the uh, the setup and the interest so I, of the book. So I don't see it just as an escape. I think it's 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 a tension that leads to the climax because the climax is kind of a big carnival. It's mm-hmm. like, but of course they're. It's pushed on them because they realize, oh, we're all losing slope because these two thousand Amaroth get get elevated. That means we're all losing years, right? So they protest. Yep. So it's very interested in a way, but it's also they they also burn down the 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 the, the, the actuarium. You know, uh, it makes me think about. I'm just kind of a carnival. No, think about um, bonfire the all the uh, think of all the episodes of Star Trek where they're not wearing their uniform, right? They go to Risa. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Picard puts on a shirt with no buttons, (laughs) puts on a pair of speedos, and he he keeps his his com badge, but everything else is you know no uniform. (laughs) <laughs> and everything's casual. That is his carnival, right? But everybody wants to wear the uniform. The uniform is the normal thing on the ship, right? And I know Paul would want to talk about uh, Deanna Troy's uniform, and eventually I, I she do, does. Actually. She does wear a lot of uniforms, especially in Voyager when she shows up in multiple episodes, um, along with Reg Barkley. But the the thing is, is when when um, Captain Janeway goes to the holodeck to hang out with her holo- holographic boyfriend, she's putting on the dresses, right? That are a costume of the period that she's she's playing or, in, or like Dixon Hill, or yeah, right, or Captain. But Proton. those, but those are all yeah. costumes, 
right? right? And those are playtime costumes. But then there's this other kind, which is recreational. I'm not a captain of a starship right now. I'm actually on vacation on an actual planet rather than cosplaying a vacation on an on a holodeck planet. Uh, that's why Rice is different from just going to the holodeck, right? The characters you interact with there are real people, whether they're wearing costumes of the beach or, you know, the rice and sex workers wearing the Hermogeron or whatever it's called, <laughs> little pin. The, the costumes are a kind of change. And this is, this is this book I really, really, really want somebody to audiobook narrate is, um, it's, uh, it's, I can't remember the title, but, um, it's, it's about the clothes making you a different person. And it's actually a review of a book about clothes making you a different person. And this is literally true, right? This is why you put on a lab coat in science class. It's not because we're worried about staining your shirt. It's because when you put on the lab coat, you become a scientist. When you put on the Star Trek uniform, you don't become just a, um, a cosplayer. You are the... The you become a serious top, a serious officer on a ship, and hence no, you become the Star Trek co- communist, right? <laughs> you become right. A, 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 right. a a person of it's like a sh- shining suit of armor, right? You give the salute, and it gives you a kind of uh, co- connection to a person putting on a personality in the same way that hiding behind a mask gives you opportunity to. This is, I think, also why people change their names. Right? Is they want to try on a new identity. Don't um, call me by my first name. Call me by my middle name, please. Um, I, I've I've told I've told you the Dougie Fresh story, right? I don't think so. Okay. When when the world was young and I was in junior high, I was jealous of my older brother because my older brother had gone through more of the sacraments than I had had gotten. <laughs> I didn't. Have a middle name. Jealous, jealousy is a um, is a uh, is a sin, Paul. Yes, I know jealousy. <laughs> so I decided I was going to give myself a middle name. Okay. I unwisely chose this middle name, but I announced it to all and sundry. I decided that Douglas should be my middle name. Mm. This was responded to for six years thereafter in junior and high school with. People teasing me with the phrase "Dougie Fresh." Right. So uh, this is this is a perfectly yeah. legitimate response by children to people putting on airs, right? Uh, I wasn't I, putting on airs. I was trying. I was trying to. You're trying to make a cr- new identity. I'm trying. Yeah, I don't know. Airs is the right word. I was trying to make a new identity, and it but back if you get to choose your own name, you are per. You're. It's like. It's uh, like. If you go back to the 1980s, you can uh, find photographs of me, or I guess if you go back to the 1980s, you'll be able to see photographs of me dressed up like a character from Miami Vice. It doesn't mean it was a smart move. It, it, but yeah, it ex- explains that everybody has a way of interacting with their identity that is, is self-conscious, right? We're, we're trying to project things and... In a, in a carnival with a mask, this is much more liberating than if you, you know, 
if you go around dressed in a Superman costume without the glasses, you know, everybody will recognize you. (laughs) But but changing your name or changing your gender, right, changing your haircut, all of these things are, uh, I'm not a a he anymore, I'm a they. This is all uh, weirds. This is not uh, withers. These are weirds. And the thing is, you can be okay with uh, being a, a, a weird. You can be okay with someone else being a weird if you're a wither. But can you be okay uh, as a weird with somebody who's a wither? I don't know if that there's a crossover there. You see what I'm saying? It's like these are... what well, One is trying to fundamentally upturn reality. And the other one is saying, this is my response to this reality I don't like. I see what you're saying. I'm not sure they're necessarily completely incompatible. They're both they're both reactions and and interesting personal revolutions against this society that Jack Vance has set up. Well, yeah, one one is not personal society. though, right? One, uh, I mean, our our um, what's what's our character's name who has two names? He's uh, Gavin Waylock. Waylock and Warlock, right? Uh, I thought the warlock. Warlock being wizard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very carefully. Yeah, so I, I was thinking like he is actually trying to up upturn uh, everything in order to get revenge and also get more life. Right? He wants to. He wants to have his cake and he eat wants it to be too. An again. Oh, sort of. Bar, that last week we were talking. About flower names in 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 Oliver context of Mars. Mars. Yeah. Do you know what the what the uh, language of flowers of what amaranth is? Yes, I used to. What is it? An, an amaranth is unfading, i.e., right, immortal, right. eternal. Now, amaranthine now, now, is now, the adjective. Yes. And I mean, also the Jason Martin, who is the amaranth, who um, our hero. Should I spoil it? Spoil what? Spoil the, the plot point. The book we're talking about. Finish. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, 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 a hero kills the Jason Martin. That's the murder mystery. Yeah. I. I, I but why did he do it? Is the question. Revenge. Could be. Well, because because she was, she was kind of stopping. She was kind of opposing his. Attempts to get slow. I think I think it's because he she recognized him for what he was. That he was not his relict, as he has always claimed, because of he's not his relic. He's he's the actual his interact his interactions with her were such that when she did this trick to him uh, by not giving her actual number to anybody else, she got to see his reading on her, right. It was it, it was a clever move. It's very clever. Part. It's very clever, but it also killed her. It got her killed. So that playfulness that it's like it's it's like I, I went to the uh I went to the carnival to have to blow off some steam. Right. I went to the carnival to blow off some steam and the sex worker there recognized me. Now I must destroy her. If she hadn't have been so playful and pulled my mask off, I would have been perfectly f- happy to let her go. That's not obviously what happened because she wasn't a sex worker, but um, it's interesting that he was hiding uh, as a carnival barker. 
right? That that's where well, he was he's avoiding. Trying, he's trying because he's trying to get his seven years done so that he could so that the original person could be declared dead so then he could start his trip up slope. I mean, I mean he's playing possum all the time. Yeah, yeah, and and, 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 and doing that in Carnival. I, I mean, th- there you go again Evan, with. The, what what is what would the the theorists say about hiding in a carnival basically for seven years in a in a way to basically escape your former identity and be able yes. to forge your own? A lot of people do but that anyway, with parties, right? They go to parties every. It's a funny thing, right? You call it a party, but what makes it a party? That's what sex workers say. Hey, guy, you want a party? That's not what she's asking. Do you want to, you know, put on a mask and go dance? It's not what it's about. It's a euphemism, right? So if you have a party where you come over to my house and I drink and you drink and then we both pass out. That's not much of a party. <laughs> it's not <laughs> revelry. It's an es- For some people, that's their thing. It's yeah. an escape and a uh, uh, suppression of, of depression. It's some sort of escape of the reality, right? So there's a lot going on in this interesting book, but I don't think, I don't think he pulls anything off in the way that I'd like him to. And that's kind of what makes me worried is maybe all Vance is like this. Is there a book where he's got a really powerful idea thesis that he, he like magicians me into not understanding until the revelation? Cause I, I pretty much knew what happened. I, I would say straight away. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's not hard to figure out. Yeah. He's the real one. And there's not mis- there's not a mystery even though he that. doesn't you know we don't see it from we don't see his thoughts right well but we can we but we can put that together like yeah he's the real one only the question is well how did he survive and now what is he going to do what is he going to do when he has the chance and yeah i didn't predict every little tw- twist and turn not at all but i, 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 mean, I was him up up ending society not so predictable i mean getting back to amrith yeah clearly that's what we're going to do but but basically overturning the apple cart completely in the process, that was a little less predictable. Mm. But And the way he did it. So uh, uh, so you, you usually talk about Planet of Adventure as being as the one you go to when you right, think but, of Right, but I don't think you like it. It's much more I, – I, I don't think it's a Jesse book. Yeah, and it's a series, it, it, right? It, it's, not, it's not a book of ideas. It's yeah. a book of – guy crashes on a space on, on a planet – and spends five books trying to get off the planet, running into all sorts of adventures and weird societies and weird aliens mm-hmm. and causing havoc along the way. It's a lot of fun, but it's not a Jesse book, mm-hmm. no offense. It's not even an Evan book. Maybe maybe the whole weird economy of the Deirdre and the Carabas might interest Evan book four, maybe, but no offense, Evan, I don't think this is a book for you either. Okay. <laughs> this, this is a this is a book to put on the audiobook when you're driving cross country. You want something fun to listen to. Mm. You and seeing Adam Reith get into all sorts of messes and get himself out again. Mm. Not a book that we think deeply about about strange and weird ideas and how they play out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, no offense to the late Jack fans, but yeah, it's it's kind of like. I mean, it's it's popcorn book, not mm-hmm. not a fancy dinner book. What do what a fancy dinner? <laughs> I don't mind popcorn book. I I I, it, it, I it's very, very make very exceptions. It's very much a popcorn book. I make exceptions. The 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 one example I always think of is like 
This didn't is we, a. Didn't we do Sin Hellcat a few? few Sin Hellcat, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. A, that's a good book. It wasn't a series. That's so. Uh, the the one example I yeah. have of me enjoying, I guess there's a couple, um, but there's diminishing returns as well. Um, I like the Harry Harrison um, Steel Stainless Steel Rat series. Yeah, uh, I've read those. But ultimately, you don't really need to read more than one to get the idea, right? It's it's uh, he's a slippery fellow, slippery Jim Degrees, right? He's this, <laughs> it's right in his name. Uh, he's a, he's a space con artist who gets recruited by the CIA to do space cons, <laughs> and it's fun. But it's not ultimately uh, SF in the way that I, I really like Gulliver of Mars, or even this has got a lot of SF stuff in it. But I think he's he's almost on the edge of being like a of being like I wasn't even sure this was set on Earth at first. You know, I thought these these could be aliens. But then the drilling down into the details of as the book goes on, no, it's clearly set on Earth. Uh, I don't know where it's set. Probably in the states somewhere. And it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. That's, that doesn't. That's no, it doesn't particularly matter. matter. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Is is it's like um, when you read those big fantasy Robert Jordan epics, right? <laughs> Long series. Yeah. What, or I was thinking a little bit about. Um, but let's go with those big secondary world fantasy books. You're really getting what the author's spinning up. That's there's no criticism of our reality, and so any um, it's a, that depends. It depends on what the author is trying to do. Tolkien is I not mean, about yes, our I mean, world, so, is what I'm saying. Uh, it, um, yes and no. I mean, I mean, to, I mean, Tolkien's whole War of the Ring could be construed as a criticism of war and industrialization. He, there, there he, he's not a like fan of industrialization. We know we I know mean, that, but it, it's it, not it, a criticism. It's just I don't like uh, it, right? Because um, it's not. I mean, I mean the whole scour, no, the scour, Yeah, the but that's not an analogy thing. for for uh, you know a particular incident in in England, right? Where I mean, he he is inspired by that, but it's it's he's working on his own shit, right? He's saying I've got this idea. And then he spins up this world with the Silmarillion and he, you know, creates this, this elaborate backstory for the, the ring and how it came to be in the possession of a mild-mannered hobbit. And then we have all of the, the tapestry of the adventure to destroy it and all of that fun stuff. But if you read it as, oh, it's, a, it's an analogy for World War II and we shouldn't have fought it. It's like, it's just wrong. It's just, it doesn't matter what you, no matter how you analyze it uh, in terms of us, it's not really about us. So the class system, or the fact that Mr. Frodo has a, <laughs> a servant named Sam who lives <laughs> under him, it, it's not a, it's not a criticism of the British system. It's, it's just a no, mimic. No, it's not criticizing that at all. It's not criticizing anything in our world, except let's get out of it, right? And so I feel like Vance uh, is not, talking about our reality at all. It's just because he's set up such a complex system, it mirrors things that we... Like, there are no actual witherers in our society, but there is a, a lot of mirrors to witherers in our society. Right? People who are upset with the claims of, you know, 
bringing democracy to the world is the number one goal, right? Or people who are upset with the fact that they can't afford housing. Those are, you know, putting on the tattoos instead of trying to save up for a mortgage because they're never going to have enough for a mortgage. Like that. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like he's not doing us, even though it's set on Earth. I, so, so um, I, I suppose in general, science fiction is much more about us in the present day and fantasy is not, but I don't think it's as absolute as you're saying it is. I'm not, I'm not sure how absolute it is. I just, I, I, it's a feeling, right? And that, I, I like, I like what I, like, I really like the moon moth. I think it's really fun and interesting. And I think his world that he built there is, is amazing. I think the world that he's built here is amazing. I'm just not sure, um, it was sufficiently explored. Like, it almost feels like he built up too big of a world. Um, he does love to, he did love to world build up a storm. Maybe, maybe and, bigger than the actual story. It didn't need to be story. a whole planet, you know, it just we needed like a, it could, this could, this could have been done on a generation starship almost. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I mean, the basic story could have been set anywhere. I mean, Geography, geography is not a strong suit of a lot of bands. I mean, he's he's much more interested in the societies and the people, and it's well written, shaped by them than the actual landscapes. He's not. A, he's. A, I mean, like for example, he has he did write a little epic fantasy, the Lioness novels, and they're not very epic fantasy by any standard because they. Don't, You'll get the endless travelogues of traveling across the landscape and eating big meals. Mm-hmm. He's much more interested in the interior lives of the characters and how they're being shaped and twisted by by their societies and what they do about that. That's that's that uh, yeah. is, that's a deal. Uh, Evan, I, did you yeah. did you have a read on this as a kind of a decadence? They're living in a decadent society. Because I got a hint of that, but yeah, then it seems that. to go away. It it seemed to go away, especially in the early chapters. And you know, obviously the carnival section is like that. But even outside of that, they seem to be in a a decadent society. And and yeah. then, and so how does how is that? You know, normally we have a barbarian invasion. Is the is the way we do it, right? Well, that's what Lovecraft would do, right? Right. And and that uh, overturns things, and you know Robert E. Howard uh, would have a lot to say about uh, you know he has a thesis. Whereas here, I, I felt like that that was it was a maybe that's just a Vanceanism is yeah, you know is really everything's internal, decadent, right? Yeah, but I think I I really do think that this was unsustainable. Like like eventually the I mean I'm, I don't know if you could. Based on the evidence we have, do a actual and analyze the actuarium, see if this was sustainable or not. But I think our hero just sped along what was going to happen eventually to this society. He was mm-hmm. an accelerant, not an initiator. Yeah, it was a catalyst. So what? What are, what are these? What are these but scholars? Yeah, I think it was definitely decadent. What are the scholars you were looking up? Uh, people who are studying this in Finland or wherever. Um, for their dissertations, say about this. Well, no, I, I, 
when I was reading this, I think, oh, Bhakti, you know, carnival. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's really fits, and I came across it in one of the scholarship. So I searched Jack Vance in Bhakti, and there were a bunch of references, not initially, initially to this book, but to the Dying Earth stuff. Mm-hmm. The Dying Earth books apparently have been analyzed through this Bakhtian lens. Does that mean Jack Vance read this philosopher, this Russian philosopher? Probably not. Thought, I want to include this. I mean, Bakhtian's saying this is kind of the universal human experience, this desire to put on masks, right? This desire to, to be equal, right? Even if just pretend, right? This... That it's just a, it's it's just something you see in human societies. It's almost like a safety valve. Today we choose faces. To quote, yeah, there's a last new title. So the other the other author I was thinking a little bit about um, is Richard Morgan, Richard K. Morgan. Um, what's that Netflix? Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon has these meths, right? These yeah, the Methuselahs, um, and it seems to work the same way the system, right? But the the difference is you can also fall, right? Into you basically don't own your own body anymore. Um and some right. somebody can use it as a sleeve. Um so it, it is an ultra capitalist future dystopia in the same way as we sort of see this, but I also get the sense that um I I feel like there's people on the outside the what are the there's another word for the people at the bottom it's not clarges but it's it's a weird word i don't have the e text of this book so i can't uh pick it out in my mind but basically the people i got the sense that there are a lot of people at the bottom who never apply for brood yeah right but they're, and they basically are brood for all intents and purposes but the, the but, they're not trying to increase their slope you only get when you get into brood, you only get twenty years, right? Yeah, it's pretty weak. Until you get to Amareth, the incentive's not that great. So unless you're going for Amareth, what's the the point of going? Yeah, into brood? It, it, yeah. If, if you're if you're not going, if you're not going for the entire thing, then you're going to fail. Mm. But uh, but that, that but even uh, to me, the fact that you 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 go into a clone. And actually, you don't even go in, right? Our our heroine, we think at the beginning, what's her name? Can't remember. Um, Jason, Bar- the Jason, Jason, the Jason, the Jason, right? She says. Um, by the way, a Martin is a kind of animal as well. Um, <laughs> um the Jason, she, um, she um, isn't oh, no, herself, oh. right? She doesn't have all of her memories. She has most of them. And the other person's dead. So that's not me. Right? That's a clone of me, and an, which is I, I, to I, me I, not I, not I'm uh, the beginning of the book. Uh huh. Because there's of the of the e tech extend because because you can you can read the preview on Amazon. So uh-huh. so the, the the word you're looking for was glarks. Glarks. Who, glarks who are the ones glarks. who don't register for base or boot at all. They're just uh, you and me are glarks unless we. Are trying to get on the tenure track. <laughs> yeah, basically on the tenure track. Yes, the tenure track of brooding going up. And and if you if yeah. you pu- it's publish or perish, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Literally perish. In a real sense, it is. 
And and so this this is um, something Brian Alexander sort of makes his living at, which is looking at the future of edu- post secondary education. And the, the future is very grim. Right? <laughs> if you follow his tweets, it's okay. This uh, state university is now collapsing, and they are no longer teaching classics. And he he was looking for the term a couple of years ago. Um, they called it the he called he eventually settled on one. A pawn sacrifice. Oh no, queen sacrifice. So you, you're a famous university and you want to keep going. Um, but the problem is you can't win unless you, you know, give up something. So you give up your queen, which is like your most powerful piece, right? <laughs> but right. we got to keep going. So somehow, and you know, w- w- what do we exist in now? We exist in a system where, I mean, Evan knows this. Um, where if you're a what's adjunct professor, you get paid five thousand dollars a course, um, which is essentially, uh, you know, minimum wage with a title. <laughs> it's like having a blue check and no pay. <laughs> Great. Uh, what'll that get me? Well, I get automatically suggested for followers, but right, it's like it, it's. It's not what it once was. The system cannot hold. It's going down in a certain sense. And yet, there are prominent counterexamples of Harvard's, you know, infinite money supply. They're never going away. At least not, not in the normal way no, that everyone else is. Be, no, there'll always be these people, like, at, at the back of the train saying, like, run, run, you can make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? You'll, 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 you'll get here eventually, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll sign your, I'll sign your dissertation. We're going to give you student loans. You can do this. Have have fun trying to catch up. You can get. There's a lot of space on this train. We're just going, you know, down the track. That's right. And, uh, yeah, the student loan boost, right? That, it, it turned into another scam. Yeah. Right, so that basically it's like, oh, these losers—they think they're going to get what we got. <laughs> yeah. Not only, not only they're not going to get it, but we're going to take their money too. No, that's when I was in graduate school. So a lot of my professors, you know, got their jobs like in the seventies. Oh yeah, and they they told stories like they'd be sitting around after getting their PhD, I don't know, smoking weed, drinking beer in their house. They get a call from, like, you know, maybe not Harvard, but they get a call from, like, University of Ohio or something. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we need a historian. Yeah. How soon can you get here? <laughs> Here's your pay. You good with that? <laughs> no, no, I need more. Okay, that's fine. No, no, they need way to whatever university that I was at. You know? So yeah. tell me the story 30 years down the road when there's no hope of getting a job. Yeah, I, I had a, a, a great... Um, he wasn't a prof. He was at a college, but he talked about, um, he got the call from, what's a, it's a West African country, pretty chill compared to most, uh, a coastal on top half of Africa. I'm, lis- I'm losing. Yeah, my, there's a bunch of, uh, Ghana. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Ghana. It was, uh, so yeah, he, yeah. he did a whole stint in Ghana and he loved it. University of Ghana or whatever it was. And, it sounded awesome. <laughs> and, and that it, it, he was telling me this while he was acting as a, uh, essentially a, a, an adjunct add on 
at the university I was I was going to. Right? He they they couldn't find good profs, um, so they just hired the college guys. Right? They bring in the college guys to do it, and great teachers because they're all like daft draft dodgers from the seventies. Um, <laughs> still working the, the old, uh, university mines. And, um, it was, it, they were the best teachers. I, I, I think we've like lost, uh, a, a lot by, uh, whatever, whatever we did to fuck up the universities. I, Brian would probably know better than. Yeah, yeah, this is a Brian question. Yeah, it's it's hard to understand because uh, my my thinking is that it's not all administration's problem. It's probably largely <laughs> administration yeah. being the problem, but I can't say that it ultimately is all administration because I just don't. I wasn't there. You know. What well, what would you say is the issue, Evan? You you uh, you're more probably recently in the university than I. Last time I was um. two thousand six. No, certainly the administration problem is not the administrators themselves. It's that money has been shifted towards administration. Yeah. So like, like in, the instruction and administration balance has shifted towards administration. More money has been going to them, and, and instruction and faculty has been hurt by that. So it's it's kind of it, like the factory it's, workers it's like talk, not like getting I think paid. Administrators are well-meaning. They're just useless in many <laughs> cases. Most cases, perhaps. Like really. It's just what you need is more instruction and, and books, like a good library and good professors. Yeah. That's what you need to have. A, but that's not what attracts. I don't know about the rankings, I guess. I, maybe I think about this more because now I'm teaching at the AP Center and all mm-hmm. my students want to get in the top 50 or top 100 schools in America. It's all about some ranking in mm-hmm. a book. Mm-hmm. We have Which those in Canada. I, I tell them all the time, this doesn't tell you much about the experience you're going to get in college. Like In this program, BU, Boston University, may be the top program, but that may not be the right fit for you. And who makes these assessments? They never listen to me. No, they never, they never listen. listen. Yeah, because they just look at the ranking. But I, I usually I, tell my students, what I can. trying to find a place that's warm. Go to a warm just, university. It's 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 just the corporate university. It's just the way it's going. Mm-hmm. And instruction will always suffer. Will always be because it's not flashy. You can't sell it. Like you can put your lectures on YouTube, but that's not going to bring students. No, it, it's the credentials, right? But it, it's, but it it's, won't bring the numbers you need. It's so you can but, say, "I went to, I no, went to this university." Going up to the tier one sports, or going, or having the nice dorms, the apartment style dorms, that's going to bring in students. So that's where you put your money. Mm. Yeah, but 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 corporatization of universities and making them into a business. I, I mean, yeah. I that that that's my pop culture interest. So why universities now suck? Because they got turned into businesses, and yeah, have different incentives and different. Uh, you can still goals. have good experiences. I think you can still get a good university education, and, and really, I've talked to people who say like that the price is much higher you know, than it I should be. If I had gone to university, I wouldn't have been exposed to Schopenhauer or something. Yeah, that yeah. might be true, but you paid a fucking lot of money to be exposed to Schopenhauer. To Schopenhauer, <laughs> yeah that. That that's the worst is part. It really is really worth it at the end? I is mean, the quality gone down, or is it just the value for money gone down? Yeah, I think the value. Why? Like, 
to go whole business on you. What's the return on investment? Yeah. Hmm. And I'm talking. And I'm talking in terms of career, just like terms of value as a person. Well, going into massive stuff. debt is not a, a good plan if if it's, if you can avoid you it, get right? Yeah. Because what oh, the experience I had uh, hearing stories about people going to colleges and universities uh, before me, you know, my parents, um, it was basically free, right? It was very very cheap and more importantly jobs were plentiful and they paid well get into you get into any kind of job you can <laughs> slack off for half the week do your classes for half the week and uh have a roof over your head and no debt that's pretty amazing oh also you can get a car like wow okay that sounds good uh, sign me up for that society how, how come we don't have that now how'd that happen so somewhere between in 1900 and 1979, uh, they decided to make universities a priority for a lot of people and colleges. And they sort of ramped, probably after World War II, they ramped up with the GI Bill and stuff like that. I don't know. And, and just everybody got an education and it was all great. And, and now we've, we've turned it into some sort of dying clown show. <laughs> It's not good. <laughs> it's it's a carnival that's more like carnies than than uh, the very uh, slick looking operation we see in this book. I, I wanted to visit those. I, I think that that was the most innovative technology we saw in this book was all the different kinds of experiences you could have, all the different houses. You don't have a list of those, Paul, do you? In the ebook. There's the House of Truth, was it? Yeah, I only got the beginning of it. There's so a bunch. The beginning there's, of the ebook, so no. There's a uh, one there's of the. A, there's the Hall of Revelation. Yes, the House that was of one. Truth. Um, that's all I can see from this. And beginning there's one, stuff w- one where you go to see you kill frogs. <laughs> and the what was the one where you go and you steal from people? You try and steal rings from them. Right. Right, right, and right, right, and, uh, and our main character has rings stole, steals rings from uh, Jason from from the Jasons, which is, is hilarious. Yeah, and uh, and ultimately, we never got to see inside the one he was shilling for. Right, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. We never go inside there and find out that. Uh, what this the, the House guy, of Life, yeah, the House you of Life, didactical moncure and his remarkable methods. Right, didactcher. That's a, he's he's really good with names and words, right? Um, Vance. Th- th- there are there are books that have been written about the about the names and words that Jack Vance invents or repurposes mm-hmm. or reuses. I mean, he's not like he's not like Gene Wolfe who. Takes obscure words out of the OED and uses them. Jack Vance just likes to invent shit, part of my language. But they, but they and they feel alien and yet not so clunky as to not actually be words you actually wouldn't use. I mean, like like Jason, for example, is a weird variant of the word piousin. It gives enough of the idea that you can get the flavor of that. So yeah, I mean. So yeah, so Jack Vance's invention of wordplay is is a feature. 
of his, of his writing for sure. Ultimately, the way I want to judge this book, you know, I don't believe I still listen to people talking about how they rank books out of stars and, and all that stuff. So, what, how many stars did you give this, Jesse? No, see, wh- where I would classify this is one of those great old paperbacks from the. 60s and 50s, 60s and uh, you, you early like, 70s. Like, 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 like I read in the early 80s. Like, uh, like I read this Where you pick it 80s. up, it's a very slim volume. You read it over the course of a day and a half, maybe. And you say, wow, that was really interesting. And then you pick up another one. <laughs> and you say, and wow, that was really interesting. Like, right? And then yeah, some of them stand out as like, like uh, gems. And then others are total dogs. And this is somewhere near the gem section, but it's not, it's not, in the gem section, you know what I'm saying? Well, because because this is, to be fair, I think the second or maybe even the first full full length. I mean, oh, oh really? Is now what Jack Vance novel? So hmm. he's still working. He's uh, still it working says on how to do it. Third, third. The first third. one is okay, okay, the five I, gold I bands, and then Vandals of the Void is second, and then To Live yeah, Forever is third. Really early in that in that whole cycle. I would I mean, totally read another one of these. I just. I just worry that uh, it's going to be in one of his many series, so I'm going to need some. Well, well, so, well, I mean, he does have stuff that comes that comes in trilogies and things. I mm. mean, I'm going to have to take a look at Audible, see what's because that's my because that's the best way to find out if there's anything available. Yeah, and you you would know. Uh, the thing is, is Audible's not very I good at telling you. In the series right yeah, now. that's um, right. Let me, let me think. That's series. That's. I think series. we're pretty much done. That you don't want that. Uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta. You I gotta, don't have to do know. it right this second. I'm no, just I have to do it right now. But yeah, but yes. So, how would you I, ultimately I, uh, judge this book, Evan? How many, how many stars out of how many stars the sky? Do I give this book? Yes, out of the out of the entire four stars. Four get four stars out of the entire galaxy. That's a low rating. Four four stars out of out of five. Stars. Wow, I hate you now. If there are five stars in the galaxy. This this book deserves five, four stars. Wow, not four and a half. No, I, I, I I'm taking off one half. star because <laughs> kissing. <laughs> taking off the one star because there was no kissing. <laughs> Is this a kissing book? It was not no, a kissing not book. Really. It was not a kissing <laughs> book. Therefore, no no four. kisses out of. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF Audio. I thought it was really interesting. Maybe interesting, three yes. and a half because Malthusian stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's like me. He doesn't really do it the way other people do, though. So I think. It, yeah, it could be the society is completely delusional in it. it, it I mean, I mean I they say they there's are. like 25 million people in this super megapolis, and that's the only place on earth. But, but you know, like I was trying to say before, I mean, you had this Malthusian crisis, they developed the society, and they kind of stuck with it. And it's just trundling along until this guy finally op- overturns the apple cards just because they've just been doing it for so long. I mean, the rest of the galaxy is there. The Earth could be reclaimed. But they're kind of, like, stuck in their own ways. And like, So it's not really Malthusian so much as, like, 
okay, we fixed about losing problem by this weird method, and now we can't think a way to go forward again until until Gavin decides, yeah, this, it's 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 time to end end this. And sadly, I looked I've looked on Audible, and all the Jack fans that's in audio is in a series. Besides, this, oh, that this is the only one that's not in a series, which is well, sad. maybe one day. I I I, I also would be, would be nice. I also thought that a little bit. Uh, I think you've read it, Paul. I don't. I doubt Evan has the city. I thought a little bit about the city and the stars, because oh, she Yeah. The reason is there. It's a one city on a planet. The planet is probably Earth. Uh, I think it is Earth and city and stars. It is Earth. Um, but it's down the same path. But they've gone full communism and they've all gone into the computer. And so now there's no. Right, you even get that virtual reality game at the beginning. Uh, yeah, but more importantly, like your, you, you know, instead of having your memories compiled and put into a clone, basically you're never born. What they do is they take all the memories of everybody, dump it into a giant hard drive, and then generate humans based on random An algorithm. Yeah, yeah, random creation things. And then there's a guy in this, in the case of the novel, right? There's a guy who slightly changes the reality and goes to the stars, right? Um, and, the, the, you know, they're not human in the normal sense. They're more like artificial persons. Um, and yet there's this outside... So that's a much better book because oh, it's, yeah. much more, it's much more down the path, whereas this one is... It's on the way, but it also it feels like it's playing out like a... Like, I think you just... Isn't mature, maybe he wasn't a mature enough writer to deal with it. I don't know. Cause they're probably similar ages, but they're just, they're very similar books, but that one is an epic. And also it was rewritten, right? That was also yeah. against the fall of night. So maybe, maybe he had more time to think about it, but I, I feel like even though this book is good, it, it just didn't live up to the amazing potential that it, it was presenting. I don't feel like I I learned anything re- revelatory as much as oh that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that, that that that's fair. City in the City in the Stars is like uh it makes you think about immortality very differently. It's it's, it's revelatory. This is more yes. to more yeah. like well wow, that was a, that was a weird fun story with a weird society. Thanks Mr. Vance. What what will we have next on tap? Yeah, and Evan will never read it cuz it's written by a Brit. Only likes Americans. Maybe someday. Someday. Oh, Jack Vance, is he, he's American, right? Yeah, oh, oh absolutely. American is my apple pie. Right. And I don't have to take a shower. No. <laughs> no, you don't have to take a shower. I, I mean, I've never, I haven't read the biography I need to at some point. The autobiography, This Is Me, Jack Vance, where he talks about his life and how he traveled around the world and all the things he got up to. I, I, I to think that'd be time. interesting, yeah. No, there is one more thing I want to mention, mm-hmm. or two more things, I guess. One is, like, there's a, in a way, I think, like, I can't, I, I searched around on, like, for weekies to try to find out if this is true, but there's a Futurama episode where when people reach 150 years of age, the Sunset Squad comes in in black cars and <laughs> takes them away <laughs> to the near Death Star. Right. So this idea of the assassins, you know, taking care of people when they reach a certain age, it got repurposed, I think. 
And I don't know if he got they got it from honestly. Futurama rips from everybody, right? It's it's great. That's yeah. why. Yeah. That's so, why. So, so how deep into it are you now? How deep into it are you? Yeah. Into Futurama, into you you're watching it, right? Well, I watched all of it before. I'm just rewatching. Oh, okay. I didn't realize you hadn't you you had watched it before because. Yeah, I, one of, there, we did an episode of, of this podcast. I'm trying to remember the name of the book. That is, oh yeah, it was a uh, Frederick Paul. Was it Frederick Paul or no, was no, it Paul no, Anderson? No, 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 no. It was Paul Anderson, Flight to Forever, Forever. Flight to Forever, right? So there, yeah, there's a Futurama episode that is just yeah, we're doing this, <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of Futurama <laughs> that is, you know, is just lifting from. I mean, the whole premise is from looking backward, right? He goes to the year yeah. 3000 instead of the year 2000 um, and uh, tells us about the weird adventures. It's, it's a great show. It does, I think, suffer in the movies. You know, Bender's big score is not as good as the other stuff because they're not... Uh, the format works really well as a... You know, you guys probably. Oh, yeah, Evan. What, yeah. I find like I just find the like the the more pop culture like the stuff that made that bother me when I was like ten years ago. Mm-hmm. It bother me now. The, the things that dated. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's right. It's for yeah. There's like there's a really good episode where where Fry kind of makes the stars right out like. Eli, I love you, or something, mm-hmm. but she can't see it because they have to like destroy the whole quadrant for whatever <laughs> reason. But there's a whole subplot where like Bender wants to be like a Harlem Globetrotter, and it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Why Bender would want that? <laughs> I, I haven't thought about the Harlem Globetrotters in a long while. I mean, the Globetrotter. There's our good addition, like the Globetrotter planet, the good addition of the series, but Bender <laughs> wanted to be one of them. It's just, it's out of care. It took me out of the episode. Yeah. Which otherwise, would have been a good one. Uh, are, are you watching uh, Disenchanted? Is that what you're watching? I, I've already watched that too, but that's, I binged that, like, every time I watched it, mm-hmm. I kind of slowing it down and watching it more carefully. Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, I like that shit. It's got it's got a, a lot of dream dreamland stuff, and not, I'm not so hot. Know, on. Maybe like, but the thing is, like, you gotta watch Rick or you gotta watch Rick and Morty. Morty. Mm-hmm. I watched one episode or two episodes of that. I just I thought it was really bad. It's not as good so. as either for it. It has some interesting yeah. stuff, but it it tends to go dark and also. A little self-indulgent, which is, I think, uh, oh. not as good. But uh, I, but I don't know if it's a generational thing because it's usually you're the first to say like Rick and Morty, like of your generation, to say Rick and Morty is good. Usually, it's younger people saying, "Gotta watch Rick and Morty." Yeah, I'm not obsessed with it, but I've seen it and it's good. So I wonder if it's like a millennial thing. Like, <laughs> there's something like the humor is different. I don't like, know. Futurama is like a Generation X show. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a, I'm a glark. I don't, I don't really keep up with these, <laughs> these, uh, trends. What I will say is, um, I, I, I sent it to you, Evan, but I didn't send it to Paul. 
But I, I'm really en- enamored with my thesis that basically Star Trek is good because it rips off of other stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I pointed, I pointed, this is a tweet from today or last night, I guess, Paul. You did, probably didn't see it. I, I talked about the episode of, um, Star Trek Voyager called, uh, Body and Soul in which Seven's body is occupied by the doctor. Um, and she, uh, starts eating everything and drinking everything because she's never tasted anything before oh, because she's by overdosing cheesecake and alcohol now right. reading your tweet. And then there's yeah. a episode of of uh, Red Dwarf that's the same thing, right? And then I compare how Rimmer's hologram starts off as a soft light hologram and then becomes hard light, and then the Voyager's doctor can only be in sick bay and then eventually gets his mobile emitter. So you you see these like parallel evolutionary things in these science fiction shows because they are based on a kind of progression of reality of the idea. It's idea based, right? Whereas if you watch like a I don't know, what's that Grey's Anatomy? There's no ideas there. Is just churn. So you have the boyfriend of the month, the boyfriend of the season, the boyfriend who <laughs> returns every seven seasons, and the show is like fourteen seasons in, right? So, uh, I, and I've seen I've seen the show, so I know kind of how it works. It's drama, but like, who cares if it's recycling something from General Hospital, like a plot point about somebody's heart failing, and that's a metaphor. <laughs> Or him not being able to love anymore. <laughs> like, nobody cares about that. <laughs> because it's just churn, right? So, what I think makes Star Trek good is that it's all about the ideas. And so, my thesis that, you know, a show that doesn't, a Star Trek that doesn't care about ideas is sound as long as you accept my argument. Now, if you like, I, I, Star Trek didn't go wrong with with Discovery or Picard, it went wrong uh, in gener- Star Trek Generations and and basically uh, all, all of those shows. But when when it, when I saw Red Matter in that first Star Trek reboot, I'm like, I'm out. I'm never going to come back to this. I'm done. Don't need to. Because Dark Matter is a joke on Futurama, right? And the reason it's a joke is is because it's stupid. On on Next Generation, when they talk about dark matter, they, they do it as a plot point to get to some idea. And the episodes that don't have ideas tend to be episodes you've completely forgotten about. And they exist in all forms of Star Trek. You know, um, TNG has lots of them, and Deep Space Nine has a few, and and Voyager has lots of them. Right. Just episodes you've completely forgotten about. But then there's these really good episodes. And so what makes it good is, oh, there's this idea behind it. It's not that, you know, you got to see Seven's naked back or something like that. I think there's episodes that are really focused on, on character, too. Which also, like, Picard and Discovery don't have. Yeah, uh, well, uh, there are there are character episodes character, for much sure. Less ideas, but but you won't remember it. Is what I'm saying is like when I'm watching the, like there's a yeah. number of Voyager episodes I don't write about, and the reason I want like 
there was one where they had a race, the space race, basically. Um, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Paris has made his his race car out of his Delta Flyer, and they come across some other person doing a space race, and they join the race, and there's no science fiction in it at all. It's just uh-huh. a space race, right? There's That's not science fiction. That's just a race in space, <laughs> right? <laughs> and there's politics are, in are it. You like, get, are you engaging, you know, that doesn't add there? anything to like our understanding of Paris's character either. I mean, no, I mean, they, they have a crisis. It's, it's, it's a fuller uh, episode at best. Well, they have a crisis so that uh, eventually um, Bolana... Well, she was going to break up with him over this, and then she decides that she's going to be a participant, and they eventually decide to get married because of this. Like, so there's character shit in there. I don't care. I I I, I like the I like I think. Seeing, I know you don't care about characters. I think that you know the <laughs> actress who plays the doctor, or playing plays seven, playing the doctor inside seven. That's really fun, but it's not an idea. It's the. That's just acting. When you say he's in there, and so he has these ideas like, I'm going to uh, taste food. Oh, my God. I've never ever had cheesecake. It's amazing. I heard it was great. Right? And so that the reason that episode's good is because, not because the actress is good. That's She's good in every episode. It's because the idea is good. And then, you know, it doesn't have to be that actress. It can be some other actress. Just along there, you know, decent. So, idea, idea, idea. That's what makes it a, a good show. So, character churn. That also makes it a good show for you. Okay, but Evan, what's the name of that officer on the Discovery who's the. that you said? I never even noticed him. Was <laughs> the. Uh, no, so I security officer. This, uh, uh, this YouTuber, he doesn't get that many hits. He deserves more. He's been doing like reviews of the Outer Limits. He does reviews oh. of Breaking Bad. Sounds good. He's been doing a lot of Star Trek reviews, and he does. He's doing a series of like who's the best, like ranking the engineers, ranking the right the, the counselors, communication the officers, and yeah, and and he ranked the like the counselors, and he combined it with communications because not every series had a. Communication or a counselor, right? What's the name of this like YouTuber? Chapman in the, of Eternity. And anyways, like he mentioned, like the guy who's a communication officer on Enterprise. No, he not Enterprise. Him. Discovery. Or no, Discovery. Yeah, the lowest. Because yeah, he I actually put Hoshi as top. Cause she is really good as communication officer. Like, cause she like she has to translate stuff. Because this is like before the techno- the universal translator is really good, mm-hmm. so she actually use her like abilities. So yeah, the, sorry about that. The Enterprise crew member Hoshi is really good, but mentioned that the Discovery crew member, and I didn't even know the guy's name. Like I never heard of this guy. Like I watched three seasons of Discovery, and they're like outside of like Michael. And the, Michael Burnham, the, the alien guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, the cost the of, ganglia. Yeah, with the ganglia that get enraged when he's threat the threat ganglia that like crazy. Uh, I'm, the uh, captain wants to eat. Yeah. I mean, I, it's like it's out of my mind. It's like I don't remember any of it. 
And the, the reason you don't remember like, is because there's no idea like, there. None of those characters have any impression on me. There's not, there's no, there's no idea. And so why, why are we watching it? This is, so uh, this is why, this is why I think criticism is really important is, is yeah. you, you respond, we, we innately respond to stuff, right? We say, oh, I like that. But understanding what you're liking, right? So I, I recommended a movie called Wind River to, uh, somebody. And, um, it, the reason I found out about Wind River, it's a good movie, is because it was directed by a guy or written by a guy or produced by a guy who did another good movie, right? And in, uh, I, I was helping a student doing, uh, film classes and there's like three theories for, uh, movies, making movies. One is, uh, Star Wind Power. River. I remember yeah. that movie. It's a good movie. With the, with the Indians, right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, there's a, a bunch of similar ones. Um, it's sort of murder mystery thriller sort of thing. Anyways, um, yeah. the auteur theory is one for films, star theory, right? And genre. And these are like not, uh, these are not theories about how to make art films. They're theories about how film as a commercial product works. And if you think about how this works, like Quentin Tarantino, he is, not a genre. He, he is his own genre. He's an auteur, right? And then there's, uh, Tom Cruise movies, right? Whatever movie Tom Cruise is in is a Tom Cruise movie. Doesn't matter who directed it, right? And then there's the genre. Doesn't matter the I mean, he's done science fiction, Oblivion. Yeah. Just and he does oh, Mission Impossible Trump. movies and he does, you know, comedies or, where he plays, you know, a secondary role or whatever. Maybe that's not a Tom Cruise movie if it's... But, you know, he's done all sorts of different genres. He is the box office. The reason you pick him and pay him a lot is because he's going to guarantee a certain audience. So some people watch movies for for the auteur. I don't go to see uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino movies because he's got Samuel Jackson. I like Samuel Jackson, but Samuel Jackson picks bad movies too, right? So I go to see the Quentin Tarantino movie because it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, not because it's a Western, but Westerns, he's done those, right? And Western is a genre. Some people used to go see a lot of Westerns. Some people go see a lot of science fiction movies. And some people go see a lot of, like, I like prison movies and submarine movies. I like all genres of movies, pretty much, right? I think genres are really cool. And then... There's the people who do the stars, and I I tend not to watch movies based on stars because stars don't pick their movies generally. I mean, they they work work for hire, right? So if you like The Rock, you could go see a Rock movie, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a good movie, right? Sometimes yeah, they're good, appeal, sometimes they're bad. To an actor and what they're doing, then going to see a Rock movie is what you want to do. And there are people who, that's the way they watch movies. Uh, indeed. That's a valid way. Uh, well, you say valid, and I say, but what makes it valid is because they like it, right? Is they well, like it's valid it. to them. I guess. But it, it'd be like, um, ice cream is the best food, <laughs> you might say. And I say, oh man, I love some good ice cream, right? But there are other genres. <laughs> there are other ways of... Looking at the f- at, at the foods, but there is a con- kind of conflation between science fiction and what are essentially space fantasies, right? Like Star Wars or something like that, and we we sort of get lost 
So when you're watching Captain Proton on Voyager, there's no ideas there. It's the twins, and there's this, the, the Ming the Merciless character analogy, right? There's a bunch of stuff in there. But I don't watch Star Trek because it has Captain Proton, right? So the, that conflation, I think, is why I sometimes I'm very worried. Here's a book that looks like it's the genre I like, right? And it's I, I'd much rather go by the auteur theory, right? I'll read any Elmore Leonard book. I'll read any uh, Lawrence Block book. I'll read any Donald Westlake book. Then I would go by it's it stars the same ca- and we have that in right the Jack Ryan books are no longer being written by Tom Clancy. Some people will still buy them, but I think they're making a mistake because they should have gone with the auteur theory. This is this like an Amazon movie so series or something coming oh, yeah. in right now. Oh, it's so, a yeah. CIA it's a CIA uh, love fest. My God! So the second the second series they go to uh, Venezuela and overthrow it. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy propaganda. Yeah, that that that's definitely pushing a point of view. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, just, let's agree on that. It's, yeah. So, you know, when he, this is the craziness, right? Tom Clancy is an executive producer on that show. He's been dead since before the show started. <laughs> He's still I credited every episode. Producer on. When you're, when you have because options. reality no longer I, – I saw a book on the shelves the other day. Um, and I'm pretty sure the author's dead. <laughs> a brand new book. And then it said at very at the bottom – it was a new one I'd never seen. I want to say Jack Higgins. Anyways, new new uh, collaboration and a tiny little font at the bottom oh, with somebody else, right? So the, the actor – the uh, author becomes a brand. Tom Clancy's a brand now. Because what they're they're doing is saying you liked Tom Clancy's novels, well we're going to give you more of those. James Bond is a brand besides of outside of Ian Fleming, right? In a way, now George Dora Martin is brand. Uh, well, yeah, certainly people are imitating him, right? I I, I think he's a brand in a mode now, well, which know. is not to the benefit of uh, fantasy, but you know here we are. You mean like he he sort of took over the Jordan Robert Jordan uh, mantle of <laughs> continuous it, it, books? Yeah, yeah, with, unfinished with, books with, with, with the proviso of that. Yeah, not actually finishing things, but you know, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and not to mention like fantasy being for a lot of people being defined as oh, it's like Game of Thrones, whereas there's a lot of interesting fantasy being written as. It is not Game of Thrones, but elevator pitch. Oh, it's like Game of Thrones. No, it's yeah. not because that's what sells. That's the brand. That's the. Mm, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I get because I get publicist emails. Sure. And stuff. And, uh, and they and understand like, this. this. Like it's Thrones, marketing, right? It's not. It's marketing. So. It's marketing, and it's it's deceptive marketing. But but, but it's, what's interesting what people is re- people shape their writing to fit the marketing, right? So they say, hey, people like chocolate. They like peanut butter. Uh, Cyborgs or zombies are really hot right now. (laughs) So they put the chocolate and the peanut butter with the cyborg or zombie. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. Are we still recording? Of course. Okay. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but this is one of the reasons why I don't read a 
I read very, 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 very little self-published books because they're all about in, in bed scenes and fiction, particularly because they're all about chasing the marketing and hmm. writing to particular markets to try to sell books. And I think they're all like I, that, I, though, I, Paul. I mean, the only know, guy who but, isn't really is Ted Chang, right? He's he's anti-market, but yeah, everyone else but, is writing but, series. But the self the self-published seems to be written only to that end. It's like. What's going to sell me bucks? But can you tell me of a, of a standalone? Publishers, publishers never care about selling books, right? <laughs> no, no, but, 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 but I, I know, but I mean, self-published kind of cuts out the middleman of publishers. That's a good thing. And it's just directly, just, it just goes directly to, oh, zombie epic fantasy is hot. That's what I will write. But uh, uh, let me ask you this. No, I, you, I, I guess you could have like some publisher that signs some big author, makes millions of dollars, which allows them to sign a bunch of authors they know they're going to lose money on. I, I mean, they're, 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 I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm going to give you an example of an author I'm happy that has just gotten a publishing deal. Her name yeah, is Martha I saw, Wells. And I she's saw been that writing too. science fiction and fantasy since since 1993. And in the early 2000s, she could she couldn't get she couldn't get uh, a foot in the door in big publishers, even not having years of writing novels. And now, once once Murderbot took off, now Murderbot is everything, and she just got a six book deal with Tor.com. Only three of which are Murderbot, which is cool because she'll write three other books because she writes lots of interesting things which are not Murderbot that people ignored. Uh, okay, I'm an exception for 20 years until uh, until Murderbot came along. So, I mean, and she's a very rare successor. I can I can name another author. So, but Kate, here's Kate what I don't Elliot. understand, it, and maybe you and, and Jesse can help me on this. I don't understand why like Campbell was a gatekeeper <laughs> and Tor isn't. Yeah, Tor's um, the Tor's the only publisher left, basically, right? Traditional. Like, I looked at the Hugo. I looked at the Hugo Awards. And I, you know, and I, I read an essay about how George R. R. Martin is a piece of crap. To fuck off the son's name, the Denali Because he's an old fogey. And he said old fogey stuff. <laughs> and I read about, you know, I saw drama about gatekeepers and stuff. And then I look at the who, who gets the nominations. And I said, and I noticed that every novella. So who's the gatekeeper? Who who's who's in control of the genre? It's is it It's not know? George R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah. He, he he is influential, but he's not in control. I I mean Tor Tor has managed to colonize the novella stratum of Science fiction and make it their own. Oh, and they colonized. Wow, I'm using that word deliberately. Colonized. They colonized because for a long while, Evan, novellas, <laughs> yeah. you, you could you couldn't sell a novella to anybody because everybody wanted big fat novels, yeah. or you had short stories in magazines, and so novellas for a long while were just not around. And toward the tour figured. I mean, it's almost like also a founder Tor figured out, hey, we can sell novellas, especially digitally, and make money. And what lots of other people are doing it, Apex, for example. But since they kind of got the founder effect of the reintroduction of the novella into the genre, 
whenever I mean, because I, I even see it in writers like if they write a no, if they're writing a novel, the first place they're going to think of selling to is Tor.com because that's the place you sell but it to. I guess this gets back to my question, Paul. Who has more power in the field now, Martin or Tor? I don't think Martin has power as far as being able to change the field. I think lots of people influence him, but as far as a publisher, Tor has a lot of a lot of power in the field. I mean, so, Martin is just a fact of people. Are, what, what, lots of people, especially in self-publishing, want to imitate him and be him. Whereas, far as what gets into a big five publisher, Tor has has more physical power in that regard because they're. So why one of the why big was five. it bad for Campbell to be a gatekeeper in that tour? I mean, uh, I guess you, you could demonstrate uh, to me I'm, that I'm, Tor is not gatekeeping. That's not okay. I'm not saying that. Voices. Um, because 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 I think. My answer is that, relatively yeah. speaking, as far as percentage of the market back then, Campbell had a much had a larger influence over the entire market. No, no, that's just yes, not. Yeah, that, Paul, I do you know how many science fiction magazines there were in 1952? More than you can count on one hand. Way more, but, dozens. But which, but which were the ones that were? Getting looked at the most were either Campbell. Astounding was 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 the number one magazine for a long time. Paul, it could be because Campbell tended to pick good science fiction to publish, and and, and that's why we remember it now. <laughs> I I don't know anything about Tor and them <laughs> gatekeeping, but the the case for him being a gatekeeper is ridiculous. He didn't buy from everybody. But his, he only had, he actually had two magazines at one point, Unknown, which also, uh, collapsed pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, and he wasn't great at picking. I think he was okay. He had certain good ideas, uh, that he encouraged in his authors that he, he managed, but that magazine was successful for a long time, largely due to the fact that he had an audience that liked what he was publishing. There are bad things in there, for sure, but there's, you know, I, I, Planet Stories has lots of dogs, and it also has some good stuff. So, you know, but the, 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 he can't be a gatekeeper in the sense that he controlled the market. He controlled access to one magazine, or two, if you want to argue Unknown. But Unknown's a fantasy magazine. And there was, like, dozens of magazines in 52. And if you go back earlier, there was more. And then later, there's more. But how, but how many of those magazines... In the, in, in the end, lasted or that's my point is impact. is that you know there was a that was the high point is on a fifty two fifty three right yeah given enough time none of this stuff survived how many science fiction nope. magazines are there there's two <laughs> two <laughs> physical magazines right yeah. I, I I mean I mean you could make the same argument there's there's lots of there's lots of online magazines now so tour is not gatekeeping. I, 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 I think I think Evan was being silly when he was I, arguing I this. Know, I don't know if I'm because, like, for example, uh, I, I think we talked about maybe I didn't talk with this Evan, but I talked with somebody about the Cora Bullhurt's um, article. Cora yeah, yeah, maybe it was you. Maybe yeah. it was last time was I was talking about um, how you know there's six women uh, nominated for the novel, and then there's a diversity count, and this is a positive thing because. That's diverse to have 
all women. It, it, it's diverse compared to <laughs> and I told you that's because of some over history over. I guess if you average it over I, time, yeah, right? and, and that's well, fine. What, what who one traditionally was getting nominated? Yeah, my theory is that you go with the ideas rather than the gender of the author. That's my theory. And the thing is, is they're related. So this story I, I was tweeting about that's amazing from Planet Stories called Meme, M-E-E-M, is written by Margaret St. Clair. The reason it's so amazing is because it's, she's got a different brain. Now, her different brain is probably partially caused by her having two X chromosomes. So she's talking about, like, it's a, it's set on Father's Day. It's about mammals on another planet. And there, there's parthenogenesis involved. Really amazing ideas, right? That story has never been republished. It was published in Planet Stories. It wasn't gatekept. It's just sort of lost, right? And it isn't that somebody said, I hate girls. I'm never going to republish this girl. It's just most stuff isn't republished. And so it takes a long time for some dude named Jesse with two, only one X chromosome. It's, it's sad to go online and say, this story is really good. And then he also will say this Jerome Bixby story is terrible, but it has this interesting aspect, right? It's not based on the gender. I don't want to read stories based on gender. If you are a different gender, that might mean you have a different brain, which might make your story a little different from the other gender or one of the other genders, if you prefer. But you you can't say, I need to read a certain percentage of women. I would just say, read books. And if they happen um, to be yeah, women, that's great. Yeah, but, but the happen-to-be argument winds up in the whole process of, well, who's who's writing those books? Where the where, What books are you being exposed to? And gatekeeping again. If, if, if white males are the ones who are buying the stories, they're generally going to buy, buy statistics and buy observation, buy Stories from people just like Jerome Kevin. Bixby so was the, the editor of Margaret Planet Sinclair Stories. Are... He bought Margaret Sinclair stories. So well, him, that... Jerome Bixby, the editor of Planet Stories, bought that story from Margaret Sinclair. Maybe, but, but maybe the if they're not the rule, that's the problem. No, I don't I... think that. I I think that okay. that's misunderstanding. So right now today, no. there are if you look at publishing in Marvel, they just had a story of Marvel's publishing industry. They have a, a Women of Marvel issue. And you go through the list of editors at Marvel, there's lots of female editors. They're almost all white. Now, is that a bad thing? I don't know. It's just a fact, right? If you look at regular publishing industry, it's dominated by women. Editors. All over the place. Now, is that a bad thing? I don't know. It's just a thing. But what I will tell you is, if you look at what people are like when they're less restricted... People sort of fall into categories. Females tend to be more interested in medical stuff. If, if there's no, uh, bars to university entry access to it. If you go to the, you know, Norwegian countries where, uh, Norwegian, Scandinavian countries where access to education is pretty much free, um, more women go into nursing and, uh, doctoring than men. Do we need to fix this by having a male put into it? I don't think so. Let people be free. It's not, it's, I think the idea of a gatekeeper as being an editor of a magazine is overstating it when there's lots of markets, right? So there are people who are trying to keep 
people from winning awards. There are people who are trying to encourage people from or to win awards. Um, but good stuff will get purchased and people will read it. Not always. That's the problem. Not always. I mean, I mean, I'm, but well, my my point is, I think I think I'll shut up now. We're also at twelve. We're also at twelve thirty Eastern <laughs> Central Time, and we're getting right. late here. Is that statistically and historically, purchase uh, purchasing and publishing of stories has never ever been colorblind or gender blind, and the the, the fact the fact that the fact that Cora celebrates the fact that the ballot is all women this year is a good thing because in a lot of years throughout Hero history. That wasn't the case, even though I mean, there's there's a series by that um that um Joe Walton did on Tor.com where she looked at the Hugos every year, going back from the beginning and looked at other novels published that year that some of which are better than what came out came into the <laughs> objectively Hugo better. <laughs> what's that? Objectively better. Well, it, it, objectively better, in, or subjectively better in her point. And a lot of those, as she points out again and again, those columns are by women because, well, that's that's because 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 the white because the, the white guys' novels are the ones that got the the buzz, the excitement, and people and people voting voting for them because that's the ones that got pushed in front of people. And the and lots of women get work gets forgotten, if not outright never bought. And so the fact that six women are on the ballot this year. That's a mark of change. That's Not good. diversity. Um, diver- diversity over the sum of history. Not the- <laughs> y- yes, it's not yeah. a ballot issue where there are two two women, two men, and two people of two trans people. No, it's not that. It's that's that's it's not diversity in the sense of a quota system of X's. I, 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 I think more children need to be nominated. You see, you see, my point is like, uh, uh, I think Je- that Je- Je- Jesse, Jesse, no, Jesse, no. That- okay. Of course. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you have because it's a diversity of oldness. Everybody's an adult who gets nominated. That's not fair. Publishing is not gender blind. Right. Sorry, you're both talking. Is it? I mean, this is not a world where people put a put a thing into a slot, irregardless of what what gender or they are, and and a publisher says, "Oh, this is great. We'll publish it." There are there are long-standing biases in publishers and readers, and the fact that we, and and so as a sum over history, the fact that we have an entire ballot that's entirely women is a sign of diversity because for most years there were no women on the Hugo ballot in any category. At some this point, is- if it, if the if the trend continues, and it has been, it's been, I would say at least fifty percent women for a while. Not that I've been keeping track that closely. Um, um, at some point, we're going to have to tip the other way, correct? We're going to have to start. We're going to have to start encouraging men to be uh, nominated and saying this is a bad thing that it's all all women, because over the scales of time, we care about I, I, quote unquote I, I, diversity. I, I, I think that will take several decades before we worry about that. Problem. <laughs> <laughs> Give it the preponderance of of of, of, pre- of previous. It'll be a and that would t- that would take basically having years, if not decades, of women-dominated ballots. And what we had a few women-dominated categories in the last ten years. That's I, I think you're over overblowing the 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 the, the problem there that we have to encourage. Well, that. but it, it, I, I'm I'm showing. I mean, it's what's, there's a special 
term for this basically is you know you look to I the, know you're reducto ad absurdum. Yeah, it's, that's the one. I'm reductio ad absurding you to bring you to the point of my idea, which is I, I, I it's said bullshit. Your point is like, yeah, we want diver- yeah that diversity is a bad thing. You just have. No, I didn't say diversity was a bad thing, problem. but diversity is not a monoculture, right? I'm just saying that that's not what diversity is. Right, diversity is not having well, all. We had we had that discussion last episode about the definition of diversity, and I think listeners can listen to that episode. I'm not going to go over that again. All right, I'll let you gatekeep me. <laughs> that was a joke, Paul. <laughs> no, I. But, but Paul is like we're talking about. Are you are you saying quality is not part of it? Because is is a, a speech a thirty minute speech that a thirty second speech that gets the name of the person you're attacking wrong and the magazine he or edited a wrong blog post <laughs> full of vulgarity that like you know whatever it's I, a reaction is it equal to a non like a a biography of 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 Butler. Um, I mean, there, are these nominations? There has been a lot of. I see there, one there has as being there for a very different reason than the other. Like, there, there, I haven't read the biography of Butler, but I imagine it's pretty solid. <laughs> there's been a lot of blood. And there's a blog post I did read, which isn't very solid, but <laughs> I understand. I kind of understand why it's there. But. <laughs> I, I mean,. I mean, you, I know you guys aren't as deep into science fiction fandom as I am, but there is no. there is a place on the internet called File Seven Seventy. They are a multiple Hugo winner that tries to collect a lot of news of fandom. And when the when the, the when the news of Natalie Lehrer's essay or block, rant or blog post, yeah. whatever you want to call it, got a Hugo nomination, there was there was a very strong negative reaction at that, that site. I, disclaimer: I do post at that site often. I have friends there. I also, Natalie's also a friend, so hi, I'm sitting here in the middle. So I see but, both points of view. I see the fact that... As yes, someone who's written blog posts, I don't see how a blog post can ever be an equal... How dare you? I run a blog a, that's been destroyed. To a, to a, to a biography that, of a great science fiction writer. The, 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 the category, unfortunately, and some of this was spilled at File 7, 7, 7, a lot of debate, but the category is unfortunately called best Yeah, that category work. needs to be reformed. Right? <laughs> I agree with you. I, I said that as such in that, in that category that, yes, this category is a hot mess that needs to be fixed somehow because these things are not equal to the other as far as what they are. I'm not saying that Natalie's post should not have been nominated. I mean, I have problems with the whole idea of having a vulgar titled piece in the Hugos, but as far as being compared to, like you said, Octavia Butler biography, yeah, these things are not the same as the other, and she really shouldn't be coming up against each other, but changing anything in the Hugos, if you didn't know, is a difficult, is a deliberately difficult and laborious process. Alright, I want to I, I, I pick up on... Hard. No, Paul, What's it's it? not that hard to change like the name of a whole award. Um, no, um, do you actually it know one's 30 second speech? Um, no, no, but the, no, the, actual, the actual rules actually having to change things in the Hugos are, are deliberately long and convoluted. 
I want to I want to change this up a little bit. It took a lot. It took a lot of work. Uh, so years to actually do that in this category. In this category, it ends on Cora's uh, uh, analysis. It ends diversity. This is for the same category, I think. Uh, Twelve women, two men, one unknown, six finalists of color, eight international finalists, at least two LGBTQA finalists. So I, I heard this really interesting thing. Uh, Jimmy Dore was talking about. Um, I guess it is uh, Jung and the Shadow. You guys know about this. Oh. It's the thing you're worried about. Uh, that's in you that you see in other people that makes you mad, like a uh, sort of uncontrollably mad. So, yeah. um, the, the good example for me would be, um, Michio Kaku. <laughs> 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 I see Michio Kaku and I, um, I get, uh, whatever those dangly, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know what you were talking about on that discovery alien, but ang- raged tentacles or something come out of my head. I just, I, I can't stand the fact that he exists at, unchecked in the world. I think that that's wrong, right? So he's in my shadow, I guess. And the, the other thing Jimmy Dore was saying is, um, you know, I thought I was a heterosexual man until I saw Jude Law in that one movie. <laughs> and I said, I would totally let him fuck me. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's interesting. And um, I was thinking about, oh, you know, I really, I, I think Michael Ironside, you know, he was he was a really cool guy, <laughs> and I thought oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger all pecked up with the what do they call it uh, on another podcast I listen to the peck jelly, <laughs> pectoral jelly when they're doing the um, <laughs> Mister Universe right oh man he's looking really sexy <laughs> so I'm like hey am I questioning am I on this if everybody becomes on on the scale of LGBTQ one of those is one of the cues is questioning. I think that sort of defeats the purpose, right? If everybody's marching, like when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who's as far as I know just regular straight, straight guy, um, is in, walking the gay pride parade, waving the flag, he's doing it as his job, right? If I go there to support my niece. I'm doing it out of solidarity. But if I, if I'm, if I'm in that category, it kind of defeats the purpose. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't believe this identity stuff. I think it's exactly as Evan pointed out. I think it was Evan uh, pointed out about Moby Dick that there, there is nothing below the surface, right? Nothing below the mask. You take off the mask. There's another mask there. It's an onion going down till there's nothing left. And you say, I, what's the well, real I, me? Sounds like I, I don't know if I said it in relation to Moby Dick. Well, it's, in, it's in Moby Dick, it's right? Exactly what I think. Strike, You're strike right. beneath the math, mask. Um, uh, so he's sort of pre-da- he's sort of, why does, why does uh, Ahab need to kill this whale? It's God. It took his leg, right? He's mad at the world. But underneath it all, there's, there's no reason. That's it. Underneath the the burning star of revenge that uh, you get in in a book like Alfred Bester's The Demolished Man, or no, sorry, the other one, The Star's My Destination. There's nothing there. He's just that, right? So my my point is is I think you know we're ex- we're all experimenting in our society with weirds. They're all over the place. They've been here for a long time, right? thousands of years probably maybe longer and now 
now we're getting very technical about like this qualifies as that and you know in Canada we don't say LGBTQA we say LGBTQA2S 2S stands for two spirited and that seems to be like if you're trying to convert it it basically means you're gay because you're you're you hang out if you're a dude well you have genitals of a man and you hang out with the women and you you have a husband who's a man that means you're two spirited or vice versa, right? So, no matter what we call it, um, you know the. Not I. It, I don't know, dude. But ancient Greeks yeah. fit on onto this, like you know, you know, ancient Greeks are really fucking weird. Yeah. Right. Like compared to what we think of today, how do you classify them? I have no idea. Say again. We shouldn't try to classify them because, like, even the language wouldn't. It doesn't fit. Use our language. They have the same words for this shit. No, I mean uh, they're essentially pederasts or pedophiles, right? But it's it's not uh, taboo. It's socially encouraged. Like that's weird, man. So how did that all come about? And well, how co- you haven't met Alcibiades. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is is that uh, you know Iron, uh, Michael Ironside's pretty sexy. I, I guess I like bald men. <laughs> He's got that deep, gravelly voice. Yeah. And Paul has has withered. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering uh, when the when I first heard it in the book how it was spelled. I thought it was W I T H E R E D, but it's not. It's W H. Oh, sorry. Yeah, W H I T H E R E D. Right. Has to be. Withered. Because wither. Wither as in. From where? Where are things going? Yeah. Yeah. So I just think, I I think that's really interesting. And I'm sure it's all tangled. Paul being a Catholic, you're probably all tangled up and, and worried about, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, am am I gay? (laughs) I'm like, pretty sure I'm not gay. I see that dude over there and he's naked. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I see the, 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 the you know, boobs on a, uh, a magazine ad. I'm like, hey, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm not gay. Now I don't need to worry if I'm gay or not, right? Because the society is so past that. But at the time, it was a major concern. People were very worried. Evan, you, did you ever worry you were gay? It's still a major concern in the U.S. because there are are conservative forces which are... Ah, The the conservative forces are in charge, man. What's what's her name's... uh, The vice president's daughter is is lesbian now. Everybody can be. No, no, but there there are states where where adoption agencies can deny a couple the right to adopt solely because they're gay. Wow. That right? No. no. And that's it's even that like no, they're not good parents. They're bad people. Well, you're gay. We don't. Yeah. We don't, you're not, you don't get to adopt this. Person. I think there's a lot of anti-gay stuff in China still, right? Evan? Maybe we lost him. Uh, maybe we lost him. Maybe it lost has him. been a long podcast. Well, he he seemed to ha- be having some VPN issues. I think near the end. All right. Evan, are you there? Maybe we should just wrap up. I think he's done. I think he his I VPN think we're done. died. I, I think we're, I think we're done. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for an interesting conversation, Mr. Wills. I'm Willis. 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 Why I, you, call you know, Will? you know what's know. funny is I, I call you Weimer, but you're not. You're Weimer, right? Theoretically, yes. What, what do you say? Uh, I, I say was named. I say Weimer, but lots of people call me Weimer. Yeah, I, I, I think when I think of. Your name, if I'm telling, talking to somebody about you, like, you know, telling my mom, Paul's depressed again. <laughs> and she says, who's that? And I said, Paul Weimer. <laughs> I don't, I, but it's the same. I always think of Evan as Lamp, but it's not. It's Lampy, which is so weird. It makes me think of a lamprey. Whatever. 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 What? Whatever. So, what do you think, mescaline or I, I don't know anything about mescaline? I would say go with uh, psilocybin. I hear good things about that. I, I, I don't. I, my brain's already. I already. I already. I already take. Um, do you antidepressants? Thank oh. you very much. Well, I was just thinking because so. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I'm not an expert on it. I do know. I have a lot of friends who seem to be depressed. Types like um, uh, Mr. Jim Moon, although he seems to be pretty stable of late. Uh, Wayne June, right? Uh, you, who else? Uh, Evan seems pretty even keeled, but everybody else seems off somehow. So you it know. goes. So I, it I'm goes. super stable. I seem to be. I have bad things happen to me. I'm like, eh, whatever. Seem I'm not quite as well. I thought you should know. Huh? No, I, I'm just... Never well, find out with a musical reference. Okay, that's I probably why I didn't I get it. probably try to find some lunch. And well, yeah, you can do that, but... I, just book, book, but, um, what, what, do you, what do you think about... Because I don't know what the laws are there, right? Um, what, what... I would never... I'm not... I, I've never smoked anything, Right. No. Not a pipe, um, um, not a cigarette. It took me. It, it, it took. It took me years to get to the point where I'm taking antidepressants. So no, I'm not going to take cyclosilabin or anything else. A psilocybin. It'll probably take me twenty years to screw myself up to the kind of the courage to do it. So no, I. So, but it's not. Uh, is it illegal up there or down there? It probably is. Okay. It probably is illegal. Because so, um, that no. that's often you know what people are worried about, and oh, I no. understand that. No, so, no. I my mind my brain chemistry is messed up enough already. Yeah, but no, but that's the the point is they were saying like I've been following this fairly closely. Basically, they're saying the reason people are so interested in it right now is it does a reset. It's like um, for it seems to be super useful for people with PTSD, which is not the same thing, but it's it's like a it's a it's a reset in the same way that uh, ECT, uh, what do they call it, electro... Yes, Demi, electroshock therapy. No, electroshock therapy is what they used to call it. It's now uh, electroconvulsive therapy. That's what it's called now. Oh, okay. um, Evan, not Evan. Um, um, Eric was telling me about a friend of his who was going in for electroshock therapy. And again... Uh, because it worked really well for him and then years passed or whatever. But the problem is, is you, you like get memory loss, which I think is pretty fucking scary, right? And like, that's, 
I'm not sure that's a an improvement. No, but that's that's like a uh, you know it's legal. That's the scary part is that, I mean, I I'm not I'm not in the position of having done it or anything like that. But anyways, uh, Mar- Marissa is um was big into mushrooms at one point, right? It's in her avatar, so we should. Uh, I'm not trying to act as your counselor here. I'm just saying. Uh, you should ask her about it because I've never, I've asked her about it myself, but, um, I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm, uh, somebody said this week, are you on mushrooms? And I said, I'm worried if I ever try mushrooms, the visions will stop <laughs> talking about my dream. Um, that, that, is that a faith of our father's reference there? Uh, no, but, oh yeah. The answer, the answer is messing with mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So, I think I'm going to wish you a good rest of your day, Jesse. All right. Take care. Oh. Be well. Get chicken dinners. Um, probably not tonight. i got to edit up a show. You do know you're way ahead. Uh, no, I'm not. I have to put out a show on Monday. I have to edit it up. If you want to do that. Uh, no. It's not. I don't. Not my skill set. It's not that fun anyways. Um, it needs to be done though. T T Y L on Twitter. Yes. I like I like him quite a lot. He's a fun guy. Oh, speaking of which, I wanted to tell you this before you leave. Uh, Will's yes. going to try and join us on the next one. The Ganymede technique? Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, um, uh, <laughs> he's another one to add to the list of uh, got brain issues because um, that's why he was o- off of Twitter for a while. But he's feeling yeah. he's feeling well yeah, enough to. Uh, you gotta engage in self care where you can, man. It, it sounded like he had a real life crisis. I don't want to. Not good. Speak too much out of turn because some people are embarrassed by stuff like that. But um, I'm sure he'll be forthcoming. Well, he seems the forthcoming guy. Hopefully he will show next week. Yeah, I expect, I expect he will. Because I've been talking to him on Skype. Um, but he's, he's off of Twitter right now. So, <clears throat> Anyways, we'll see what happens. Okie dokie. Uh, you, you don't want me sending you all my Star Trek tweets, do you? Because I've been sending them to you. You, you can send anything you like to me. Well, it's just you're not obsessed with it in the way like Evans. Evans supposedly writing a Star Trek book. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not obsessed with it. No. Yeah. All right. I'm almost out. I I'm I'm down to the first, the last season of Voyager. So. I'm sure there's always more that you can say in show. So. (sighs) I'm not not sure that's entirely true. I'm not looking forward to Enterprise. I just. Jesse. Maybe, who knows? Maybe you'll find something you like. I don't know. Yeah. It's unlikely, but anything is possible. You <laughs> I love you're trying to cheer me up here. That's hilarious. Fight. Oh, dude, I'm so generous with me. Be generous yourself. I, I have a frozen pizza in my freezer that I made at my mom's house a while ago. It's going to be my dinner tonight. Well, that's that's that that sounds like a fine way to spend your dinner, dude. It's it's not chicken, but it's gonna be good. You could have chicken on pizza. 
I know, but I didn't put any on there. I have pineapple and uh, pineapple uh, ham. And pizza. Ham and pineapple. Um, the, the New Yorker in me has opinions. Yeah, I know. But uh, diverse diversity of pizzas. Diversity of pizza. <laughs> I think we had Cheerios pizza too. and uh, <laughs> we. Uh, you know, when I, I was um, when I good. worked at a pizza place, they had a dessert pizza. It was like uh, cinnamon and uh, I don't know something else. It was good. It was not my favorite. At least it's, it wasn't. Their- that was, that was uh, Godfather's. That was uh, Herman McCain chain. God help us. No, it was it was pretty good actually, and th- there was like an no, arcade no, machine in there. Jesse, no. I, I worked there, man. I ate the pizza. Jesse, no. How dare you? Herman McCain's Jesse. dead. Yes, because he, yes, because he was a stupid Republican. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty stupid. <laughs> I nine nine plan. Yes, and this now it's the poll goes bye bye bye.